Hey y'all, this is nobody coming to you before the show with a content warning. Um, there's some pretty frank discussion of our mental health in this episode. Uh, I talk specifically about my reaction to uh, ADD medication, and Quill also talks a lot about their anxiety experience and the meds they've taken for that. Um, that starts at about 14 minutes, and it runs until 26 minutes, so it's a pretty in-depth discussion. It doesn't get too heavy, but it is definitely us talking about the sort of headspace we're in, and so, you know. Just wanted to give you a heads up. Have fun and enjoy the show. Welcome to Us Weirdos Have to Stick Together, a show where a couple of weirdos talk all about the Owl House. I'm Nobody, and joining me is the most wanted criminal in the Boiling Isles. It's Quill. How are you, Quill? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I might have a job lined up, I think. It kind of nice. depends. Like, I, uh, yeah, they put in my name at, like, a staffing agency for, like, a data processing job. So I might hear back about that sometime early next week. And then Monday, okay. I also have an interview at another, or actually a second interview at another uh, data specialist kind of position at a place I already did a phone interview with. So hopefully I can have an income again since <laughs> almost two months ago. <laughs> oh boy. Well, I'm consistently impressed with your ability to potentially line up jobs. I have not had one thing back in anything I've applied for in the past three months. Yeah, that's, that's rough. I mean... To be fair, like I've like I, I've been sending out just a shit ton of applications. It's like really I haven't done a whole lot of interviews for any of them. Like I've <laughs> maybe have done I think only like four interviews in all this time. Like I mean that, that other job I'd mentioned uh, about uh, a few weeks ago that I brought up last weekend being like, Oh forget about that, don't worry. Uh that one was just one that like they just called me on the phone and just offered it to me. I think I yeah. mentioned this two weeks ago as well. And just be like, Okay, well, that doesn't fucking matter anymore now, does it? Because uh turns out I probably shouldn't have been all that surprised that the supervisor there didn't bother to give a shit about people being people, considering that like I even just remembered a while ago that my previous super, uh, well, previous boss actually definitely did not apologize when I had to correct him in an email, being like, "Hey, it's they them, please." I recognize mm -hmm. that it's like the last few days I'm here, but still work here. <laughs> I don't yeah. prefer if you tried, and he definitely did not correct himself nor apologize. So not at all surprising that the same company continued to not give a fuck. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I just I don't know. I I assume that you must be better than me at uh, resumes. And the reason I assume that is because I once interviewed for a position that, like, the hiring manager was a family friend, and mm -hmm. I did not get an interview despite knowing the hiring no. manager, Oof. because I was told that this is the worst resume I have ever seen in my career. Jeez. So, presumably, I, I am bad if, at that. <laughs> if you want, I, I can share uh, what my resume looks like with you over Google Drive, if you just want to have framework, because, like... My resume has not changed, really. Like, aside from, like, work experience, everything else in there has been basically stagnant since college. <laughs> I have not changed even, like, the formatting of it. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe at some point, but 
we'll see. There's a like resume workshop thing the school does, so if I ever stop having mountains of homework, I can try to do that. Yeah. I mean, it's like, my resume doesn't look... I mean, it's like, it's got like a decent amount of experience on it at all, but it's like, it's nothing flashy on there. But it definitely mm-hmm. still is a little bit better look of like seeing that compared to what my parents used to tell me of like, you gotta go door to door looking for a job. It's like, literally oh, nobody yeah. lets you do walk-in interviews any- or applications anymore. Like, they want you to go ahead and not waste their fucking time. <laughs> Which, again, just shows my dad's age, because he is fucking ancient. One of the stores in the mall across from me does indeed have a sign that says, if you're interested in a job, give your resume to the person on duty. Oh. But, like... I feel like that's more an outlier than the norm, though. Honestly, yes, I, obviously, I cannot... last speak. resort job. <laughs> yeah, and also, I obviously can't speak for Canada, having never been to Canada. No, pretty much everything I've seen here is online apps, so that one's a, an anomaly. Yeah, like even like most of the job postings that are on sites like Indeed just say like apply this way and just send your resume to them and like answer a couple of questions as opposed to having like do company site stuff. Because yeah, God, exactly. the, the worst are the comp- are the ones that want you to do the application on their company website where they have you upload your resume as private but you still have to type in all the information bit by bit. Ugh, like, why oh, yeah. do you need me to attach the resume then, please? If My you can't have it generate... Yeah, it's like, if you can't have the information generate from the resume itself, why are you having me send it at all anyway? And also, why don't you just let me send that and not have to type it out individually? Yeah, exactly. It's really annoying having to find the addresses of all the places I worked at back in California, in like, ah, North Carolina. Like, obviously, I remember the one at MetLife because it was just literally MetLife Way was the road. It's, like, easy enough. But, like, I don't fucking... That's, like, I don't fucking remember the address of the Pep Boys or the IBM I worked at. I just remember they were in Chapel Hill and Durham, respectively. You know what's really cool is... uh, So, I know the address of my pool job just off the top of my head from working Mm -hmm. there for five years. Yeah. And, like, sometimes having to drive there all the time. But since I've left that job, they've moved. They're not in that office anymore. Oh. <laughs> and I don't know the new address. And Fun. it's not on their website. <laughs> Fun. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. It's, it's always, like, stuff like that, like, little minor things of, like, especially, like, the ones we had to type in, like, the references. And it's, like, give us an email. And it's, like, you need to definitely have it be a whatever at whatever. And it's, like, a lot of times I'm, like, I literally do not have an email for this person because the job did not have an email for them. Like, at the Pet Boys one, so it's like, <laughs> I guess I'll just put na at none.com because that's what your form heading needs at a minimum. <laughs> because it's like, I literally can't just say I don't have one any other way. Job <laughs> uh, yeah, hunting is like... terrible. <laughs> See, because I mean, I've only had two jobs really, and I had each of them for five years, so I've got a decade of experience, but only the two jobs. Yeah. And I definitely do not know the phone number or email address of anyone at the first job because it was five years ago. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, the only way that I actually even remember my supervisor's name from the IBM job that I had from 2016 till 2018 was because I actually do have, like, a Word doc of references. It's yeah, like, exactly. I definitely would not remember that guy's last name nor his phone number. And also, like, even if you contact him, you would definitely have to dead name me to tell talk to that guy to get a feel for me because he definitely doesn't fucking know who the hell Quill is. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like, never does uh, knew the people at Pet Boys. Like, 
it was like part of like at the staffing agency when I like gave the reference. And it's like, yeah, Joanne would definitely know me because she was my supervisor at the previous job. You will de she will definitely recognize me if you refer to me as Quill. Maybe not so much the cat, like the last name and everything, but whatever. But yeah. like if you if you call Pet Boys and say, hey, what was Quill like as an employee? My old supervisor there, Angie, is gonna be like, who the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> like. Yeah, definitely didn't tell the uh, the lesbian about it because like she definitely didn't give a shit about trying to get the uh, rest of the crew on board with like not saying shit that could be really bad. Because like I mean that assistant manager there at the store definitely did at times use the T-slur as an abbreviation for a transmission, and it's like Jesus fucking Christ, my dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, he definitely also said the R word at times, and it's like fucking come on. <laughs> Like, I get that you were from a different part of the country and all, where it's like, that might be this... I don't know. I don't want to generalize and say that's just what it is around, like, car shops and all. But <laughs> it's like, you need to take into consideration that anybody around, like, a customer... Like, there, that, when he was talking about transmission and using T-Slur to shorten it, he was talking to a customer. It's like, bud, you do not know who this person is. <sighs> they bite fucking punch you in the face if you do that around them like i definitely felt like i wanted to punch him in the face but i'd definitely be fired mm -hmm. at the time because that was back when i was questioning stuff <laughs> i was like yeah fun fucking old people do not fucking understand anything about anything <laughs> <laughs> especially old white people i find <laughs> Angie, at least, like, she was, like, close to my age, but even then, like, she definitely still was not very knowledgeable about most of the queer community stuff, even though she was a lesbian. <laughs> but, I don't know, whatever. I don't deal with those people anymore, because I don't live in that state anymore. I can... Yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, no, I mean, I'm trying to think if anything's really happened much in the last week or so. Uh, not really. I mean... So I made a, I wouldn't say a bad decision, but definitely one that I'm like, hmm, this was not worth this curiosity. Okay. Cause like, okay, so no, it's not as bad as you might think. So I was at the grocery store earlier today, and over the last like month or so of going to this grocery store, I kept seeing that new Coca-Cola Starlight. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, what the hell is this? I don't know. So like, as I'm in the grocery store, like I, for the last, again, the last few months, I was like, or the last month or so, I've like almost bought it at times. And I'm like, what the hell does this thing taste like? So I was in the grocery store Googling it, and people were like, it tastes like Campfire Starlight, or whatever the fuck. And I'm like, this article even, like, points out that it's not a flavor. So I was like, I don't know why they're just repeating it. I could not find what anybody said it tasted like. So I was just like, you know what? I, I tried, like, the, 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 was it, is it Pepsi with orange or Coke with orange? I forget which one it was. I think it was Coke with orange, like, uh, a while a ago. Lot. Yeah, it's like, I, I think I remember hearing about that one because I remember them talking about it on the streetcast one point. So it's like, I want to try it too. And it's like, man, this is this is Coke with a little bit of aftertaste. And it's like, Coke Starlight is basically that too, where it's like, I can't even like pinpoint what kind of aftertaste it has. Not like a bad aftertaste, but it's definitely like, eh, it's just Coke, basically. <laughs> Which again, I guess if you're getting a Coke, any of the different flavors, like it doesn't really taste much different anyway. It's just baseline Coke with a little additive, I guess. So whatever. I don't Not know. I mean, I taste them pretty distinctly, but also I've got my weird tongue thing going on, so. Uh, what, what <laughs> weird tongue thing? Oh, have we not talked about this? Oh, I don't okay. think so, no. Um, yeah, I am a super Do we need taster. to put a content warning for taste stuff? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, so I have the uh, super taster gene, which means that some flavors are just way more powerful to me than to other folks. Huh. And so, like, that really restricts my diet because I basically can't eat anything that's bitter at all. It's just overwhelming. Oh, oh God, that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and so Man, I can like always, it... like, with those sodas, you can always tell because the bitter is still there. They just try to cover it up with, um, right, with, with artificial sweeteners. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you probably you probably wouldn't like really be able to drink stuff like Burt's beer then, I think. Oh no, definitely not. Yeah. That's a bummer. Burt's beer Weirdly, is really energy drinks are probably the best thing for me, and I assume it's because they're just so much pure sweetener that <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it just covers everything else. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I had never heard of this. Like this is news to me. Oh yeah. It's like I don't remember what the number is. Like twelve percent of people have it, so it's pretty common. Hmm. Yeah, no. Somehow, I guess I just never heard of that, or maybe it's just never come up because, like, I guess a lot of people might not simply know that they have like the weird super taste, and they just assume it's just that way for everybody, and they're like, oh, I guess not. <laughs> yeah, that is uh, very possible. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it was definitely like something that I like. I kind of equated to way early on when I started HRT, where it's like I. The best way I could describe it to people is that, like, I kind of, like, experience food more. And, like, I don't know if this is me gaslighting myself because of the new hormones and all back then. Because it was, like, it was the most strongest, like, in the first few weeks. But also, at the same time, that might have just been... Maybe I just don't know so much now, just because yeah. I've been on hormones for, like, almost 16 months now. So, I can't say. I can't pretend that's a thing I experienced, but I'm not going to say that you didn't, you know? It's different for yeah. everybody. <laughs> yeah, it's like how my one friend I mentioned before, like, they mentioned, like, they were just... I forget the details, because it was a couple of days ago, but they said, like, they were just, like... Oh, it was a, they were doing, like, a side quest in the ring with had, like, a really sad ending, and they, like, kind of had, like, a full, like body reaction to it of just like you know like the whole like way that like at times you can like afterwards realize that you were tense throughout and you didn't notice it at the time kind of similar um, to that no i'm not familiar yeah i mean there's like definitely times i've definitely noticed that like i'm like going through something and like it's only after the fact that i realize oh i've been tense as fuck this entire time while experiencing <laughs> this kind of deal like they had like a like full like oh this is really sad kind of like reaction and across their entire body with hormones and they're like actually and i was like is this feel like not great and they're like no i welcome it because it means that it's something's happening and it's working right and it's like i guess yeah <laughs> well you see Phil, i've only had emotions for a year now you're talking to a broken person who doesn't know what tension feels like <laughs> I, I yeah in a, in a less uh in a somewhat lesser yeah, extent but also very much still that yeah same for 16 months but yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah turns out again like it's something that i remember reading in like a web comic where it's like yeah the reason why you don't really like 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 what you look like in the mirror is because you don't actually you're like acknowledge that that's you in the mirror you don't connect with your own body that's really fucked up <laughs> uh, yeah yeah, uh, I mean that's that's kind of just been my week. I've mostly just been trying like to still yeah. find a job. What have, what have you been up to? Um, something I'm gonna need to put a mental health content warning on. <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> yeah, we're doing um, it all in this episode, huh? Just tons yeah, absolutely. of W's. <laughs> no, I uh, I got on the brain pills this week. Um, Wednesday was my first day. Uh, this is Vivance. It's supposed to help with my ADD and. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think this is the pill for me. Um, 
I've only been on it four days. I'm not giving up right away, but just base inclination. I don't think this is the one, and that's okay because that's how finding the right med works sometimes. But it's just stuff like I haven't really been sleeping, so that's an issue. (laughs) A little bit, yeah. And yeah, like uh, I'm also hyper-focusing on stuff that I never would have before. Like, I read 80 issues of Batman yesterday. <laughs> That's on, on top of all, like, the things you've been working on for a little, like, uh, tabletop campaign we're planning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh. It just... Like, it definitely works. My distractions go away. But the problem is my distractions go away so thoroughly that I can't stop doing what I'm doing. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I, I just got to maybe a lower dose. I got to find a balance. Like, 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 yeah, like rather than having that, like, I feel like I can't focus on anything. It's like you're getting su- too hyper focused that you can't stop. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it also sounds like a problem in its own right. And it's like, it, it's very weird to think about because even in the moment, I'm aware that I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. And like, I'll have these dialogues with myself. I'll say, okay. So you've read 30 issues of Batman. Maybe now's a good time to stop. You could stop if you wanted, right? Is it the pills doing that? And then I just keep reading yeah. Batman. <laughs> so, hey, yeah. yeah. I kind of have the inverse sometimes where it's like I'll get up at like 9 in the morning. on. Well, I guess I shouldn't say my day's off because it's like my days have been off for the last almost two months now. But mm-hmm. it's like I'll, I'll like grab my phone and I'll be like, I should only like, like look at this for like maybe a half hour before I get up out of bed. And then it's like 11, and I'm like, I desperately need to actually get up and eat breakfast. And then it's like, mm. <laughs> but it's cold. It's a little cold out. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you know, you thing. need to eat. <laughs> like, I didn't eat yesterday because I was busy and I forgot to. So, that's... Uh, also bad. Yeah, you should probably yeah, talk to your no. doctor about the dose, maybe. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's just stuff like um, I did a, a logo. Just a a quick graphic design thing for that tabletop campaign Quill mentioned. Mm -hmm. And it's great. Like, I I would have been totally happy with it after the five minutes I spent on it. Except then, for whatever reason, I got it in my head that I needed to correct some stuff because there was some, like, graphical fractaling. And so I spent an hour and a half going in and retouching the whole thing pixel by pixel to make sure it was perfect. Oh, and boy. it looks exactly the same when you zoom out, but... <laughs> yeah, but it's because you saw that little bit where you zoomed in, that's like, yeah, I'm the only one that knows about it, but I can't not think about it now. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I it's got, got a wild week. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's points where I do stuff like that, too, where it's like, back when we were playing 5th edition D&D last, uh, well, I guess September 2020 up until, like, uh, June or July of last year, it was definitely a case of at one point, we use just Google Docs for our character sheets and all. So it's like at one point I was like, I want to be able to like see more of my class abilities like per page. So I actually made an entire new sheet with it changed to be uh, horizontal instead of vertical. Wow. So like on like the horizontal, like all the information there is like my like, actually let me bring it up so I remember fully. It was like my stats, all my skills, my spell slots, my spell save DC, like all my like limited like subclass abilities. Like because I played the uh, circle of dreams druid so it's like okay well i have this many uses of bomb of the summer court and this many uses of hidden pass did i use my like once daily casting of dream uh, uh scrying or teleportation circle that was like a little special use of it because it was only to the location of your last long rest rather than 
like a preset location beforehand kind of deal. Mm -hmm. So I had like all that stuff on one page and the next page was like the various spells that I had and each spell I had hyperlinked to D&D Beyond. Yeah. Or this, well, except for like some of them from Tasha's just because like D&D Beyond only shows you the baseline books and even then not everything from the player's handbook for some reason. So it's like, well, oh, well, I definitely can't. you gotta buy them to have access to them. Yeah, but I mean, like, there's times where it's like, even, like, this is a spell in the player's handbook, but it doesn't display it for some reason. Like, you need right, to... yeah, because the player's handbook isn't free. What you get is the basic rules. Oh, that's what it was. Okay, I didn't realize. But yeah, yeah. it's like, stuff like that. <laughs> and then, like, uh, like, it was like, that was on the first, not second page, and the third page was like, here's all the magic items you have. And the third was like the non-magic items. And then it's like, here's the backstory stuff. And here's like the baseline, like what the character had at level one of like the stat rolls. It was like, I, I went like overboard with it. And meanwhile, like I look at my friend Tynan's sheet and it's like, he just has everything thrown all over the place. He doesn't have like any of his skill modifiers or, or saving throws written down. He's just like, I don't have proficiency with these. I know what they are. And it's like, okay. It's, I, I get that you know them, none of us can tell, because it's like, we just have to remember what your modifiers are, I guess, but if you have macros that tell you, sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, no, I, I get way too, like, devoted to that kind of stuff, making the sheet look nice and everything. And, like, I definitely, like, I have, like, a lot of them are in tables, and then I change the table outline to be, like, white, so it's essentially transparent, but in that table there's other tables, so I'm, like, mm -hmm. arranging it the way I, like... I get that it's just me being me, but also at the same time, it's like none of my friends go that far. <laughs> it's like, it's like Quill, why do you spend two hours doing this? It's like, because I want it to look nice. <laughs> well, yeah, like, I I'm not trying to diminish your efforts here, but that's like, that's great, you know? You're worried about yeah. the presentation, and maybe it takes a little bit of work, but if that's what you want, it's, it's perfectly fine to put in. Yeah. This was not that. <laughs> no. Nah. It was because what I did was I used a text generator to use a font, mm. and then I just used the bucket tool in Paint to color it in for the first draft, and that was fine. But as many folks will know, the bucket tool in Paint is kind of imprecise. Right. So yeah, that's what I got stuck on was going back and fixing every little piece that didn't get got. Gotcha. So. Yeah, yeah. It's, I hope, it's been I hope, weird and rough, but it's just yeah. a step, you know? Yeah, I don't mean to distract you with me sending a link, uh, that picture of the first page of my character sheet, but just so you have a reference point to look at it later, that's what the oh, first page hey. looks like. Yeah, that looks yeah. really good. Yeah, I, I like how it came out. It's just that it, it took a bit of time to fuck about with. <laughs> but yeah. No, no, I mean, yeah, that, that doesn't sound like a fun time, but it's like, it doesn't. It also doesn't sound like you like necessarily fully regret getting on the bills, right? No, I mean it's it's definitely better than it was. It's just bad in a different way. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I overshot. I just need to dial back a little bit. Yeah, it, it's much like again for any listeners that are not on hormones that like want a bit of a reference point. Like a lot of it is like especially early on the doing the doctor like figuring out what works for you and what doses you need and everything because like everybody's yeah. bodies are obviously different everybody has like different like hiccups of like whether they want to take pills multiple times a day or 
when the, like even in my case where the doctor told me I don't need to do injections every week, I could do it every other week or go back into the clinic and have somebody <laughs> do it for me every week. Which I'm still surprised they didn't charge me for that follow up where they showed me how to do it. I thought they oh, were going nice. to because I asked them like if I come here every week, is there a charge? And they said yeah, there would be a charge, but they didn't for the, for that one time. So I guess maybe it was like incorporated with the previous cost with me being there the week before. Or actually, I guess it would have been that Thursday, the 17th of February, and then like that following Monday was when they showed me how to do the, the injection. So I guess maybe they just preemptively did it. I don't know. I can't say. <laughs> but they, I don't know. Mm. no idea but yeah yep. no it's it's extremely like that when you're working with um mental health affecting medications so it's like that for add adhd stuff it's like it for yeah. antidepressants just you got to be careful and take your time so yeah no yeah like i unfortunately know like how dangerous some of the really potent stuff can be because like i used to work as an administrative assistant at a assisted living home back in like spring through summer 2012 before i moved up to illinois mm -hmm. and like it was definitely a case of like by that point uh i didn't i didn't fully know that i would had like anxiety issues because it was only like spring 2013 when i got diagnosed with that but it was definitely when i did get diagnosed and my doctor was like okay well since you know you're gonna be flying out to california at some point soon i could give you lorazepam which is the really good one for calming you out for flights and everything and i'm like well i definitely recognize this because half the residents there were taking that every day and that is really bad for you to take every day <laughs> so like this is definitely the kind that aside from before going on flights this way i chill the fuck out i know i only can never take this when it's really fucking bad fortunately i have not needed any like anti-anxiety medication for years now because like nice. I, I i got really like better with it like it flares up at times and i definitely I at least recognize it and like Oddly enough, for as much of an idiot he actually, like, acts a bit, especially through Giant Bomb, like, Dan Reichert's uh, book, Anxiety as an Ally, really helped. Because it's, like, a lot of it was, like, oh, yeah, this is definitely what I've been going through. And it's, like, I remember back when I first got diagnosed, I was asking the doctor, like, okay, well, how can you make it go away? And his book is, like, I was like that for 12 years, and then it took me way too long to be, like, this never goes away. It's always there, but you can mitigate it and learn to... <laughs> You know, put up, like, I guess, I don't want to say just put up with it, because, like, that just sounds like I'm saying just tough it out, or stop and calm down, and it's not, no, that's the worst way to try to describe it. Yeah. But it's, like, it's definitely a case of, like, yeah, like, I can at least recognize when it is coming up a little bit, and it's like, yeah, I know what this is, it'll go away eventually, just calm and keep calm and everything. And, yeah, it, it's, again, like, I mean, I still think I have some of my abuse prone, which is, like, the usual one I would take daily if I needed it, but, like, mm -hmm. I don't I think that's like way expired. I don't know if it's something I definitely <laughs> would want to try to take. Because it'd be probably bad to take that stuff expired. Well, not universally. Don't take my advice. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> but usually, expired medication just loses potency. It doesn't like oh, yeah. poison or anything. It just doesn't do anything. Right. Yeah, like over time, it's just like, okay, well, this is only like at 50% efficiency at this point or whatever kind of deal. Yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's not like food, so it's not going to rot. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, so that's that's where I'm at. That's what my week has been. I've done basically no fun things because I have too busy doing other things. Yeah, I mean, you, you have said you are basically in, like, finals time, right? Oh, yes, extremely so. Yeah. Like, uh... Next Wednesday, I have to have a 20-minute presentation for a class, 
And then two days later, I have a 15-page paper due. And oh boy, <laughs> yeah. If if you need to take next week off, just let me know. <laughs> and we'll see. But yeah. So, um, mm-hmm. did you have anything else, or are we good to start moving on? No, I, I I mentioned on the Twitter that I had something I could discuss based on the this uh, the day's episode because like for yeah. the listeners' sake, you didn't pay attention. This is like Saturday we're recording this, so like episode twelve aired and like literally twelve hours ago. But I feel like at this point it's probably better to just say for when we get there because it's definitely something like I brought up in like our little like Discord chat of like being like, hmm, this recontextualizes something I did to myself, huh? Because <laughs> <laughs> I think you can infer infer what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, I can. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the few people that do listen to this, most of them being in that chat, too, if they remember what I brought up in the pilot, they definitely also would have seen that and be like, oh, yeah, that's that's. Fun. But yeah, we'll, we'll get more into that, I feel like, when we actually properly talk about Elsewhere and Elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, they they don't stop. Every, every time a new episode's out, it's like, this is going to be just another time where it's going to be and we break our record for longest episode once again, because these episodes just get more and more crazy. <laughs> okay well um i guess i've got nothing else so if you're ready let's go ahead and jump into it okay this is season two episode five through the looking glass ruins we open at hex side which has a logo on the front that i've never noticed before i don't know if it was always there and i just never noticed it or but yeah it's like a, a heraldic elm emblem, a flaming book with an infinity symbol marked on it. It's very cool. Hmm. I did not notice that. I'm like literally going back through uh, to I was in Teenage Abomination to put that on mute real quick and see if it's there in that one. <laughs> but yeah, um, so after this establishing shot, we f- we find Luce meeting Gus in the school hallway. He's slumped against a locker and says he messed up bad. Because Willow had some kind of a pixie problem, and he tried to lure them away with an illusion, but they got mad and attacked Willow. He is upset that he did this, because he's feeling very inadequate on account of having skipped two grades, and, like, he he just feels like there's no point in being this good at having illusions if he can't do anything good with them. Right. So Luz reassures him and we cut away, but, like, the note I have here is that this is just a super weird scene to do like this. Yeah, this normally is like, we would get the pixie incident, not the aftermath of the pixie incident. <laughs> yeah, this is like, I think, maybe this is like the shortest intro. I, I Actually, I feel like maybe episode uh, season two, episode three was the shortest, because it's literally just Ida like, going through the ruin and seeing what we mm-hmm. find out later was Baby King. So it's like, I don't know, this might be like the second shortest, but this feels the weirdest, like the, the strangest setup for the episode. Yeah, it definitely yeah. is, because we start that in media res with, like, this thing has already happened, and we're just hearing about yeah. it. Yeah. Also, uh, yes, uh, it's not on the outside of the school, but in the shot inside of the school at uh, about eight minutes in, in ep- ep- season one, episode three, yes, that herald of the infinity sign on the book is there. Nice. So it has been there, <laughs> we just have not noticed it. <laughs> we are the most observant. <laughs> it takes us so long to get through one episode, especially the one that we do this, not this for ourselves. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's super so nice. Like the twenty the, twenty-two minute long episode that we can easily make an hour watching our own episode that we do this and not to stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it took me about an hour and twenty minutes to do the notes for this episode. So, like, oh boy, <laughs> I mean, hey, to be to be fair, it is a big episode. <laughs> like, no, it is. I'm just saying that, like, 
that's the level of, of time that we're putting into these notes. It's We should have noticed that symbol earlier. <laughs> uh, I guess maybe. Too, too distracted by all the gay stuff that happens in this episode. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. Hey, to be fair, you don't have to do the next big gay episode. That's me. And that, considering my synopsis for this episode, for season, ep for episode six, is like three pages, it's going to be even more than for episode eight. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, after the credits, uh, we open on Gus lying on the floor of his room, despondent, and he gets a crystal call on his crystal ball. Uh, apparently, he had King do an intro for his voicemail. Up against King's will. I don't know how he got this, but there you go. I feel like it might still be King feeling a bit bummed out because of the whole shrinking incident. That's like it might be like, you did put our lives in danger here, but you kind of owe us still. <laughs> also, just uh, real quick to uh, point out, uh, Gus has a bad girl coven shirt on his wall. <laughs> uh, this is also the only time we see King in this episode, and Ida's not here at all, so... Yeah, well, Ida's technically like the in, stuff. Ida is in, like, the, when Lucy uses the crystal ball, like, she's in, like, a newspaper clipping. Yeah, but yeah, that's a still that's, image of her, like, ten years ago. Yeah, like, that is, like, the full extent of how much they're in this episode. Yep. Yeah. So, um, the call that he's getting on crystal ball is Willow. She's all beat to heck, and she's calling to thank him for the get well soon illusions he sent, but also to ask him to get rid of them, because... He sent sentient illusions that are just entirely dedicated to her. They are extremely overbearing. Mm -hmm. And uh, he calls them back to him before unmaking them, which I guess... I'm just guessing here, but I think it's so that Willow didn't see them get unmade. That was a little gruesome. Yeah, it's like, it was, like, I have a note here. I never noticed it from all the times I watched this episode, but those illusions definitely have their eyes and teeth melt away as he blows them. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like, those illusions felt pain. <laughs> and they were conscious that they weren't with Willow anymore. They, like, knew. Yeah. Like, he... this, this show has always had, like, a, like, this is, like, surprisingly a little bit un unsettling and gross at times. But it's, like, it's still impressive how much this show continues to do so. Especially, when again, when we get there in three weeks, the beginning part of uh, episode 11. Yeah. <laughs> where that happens. <laughs> I was like, geez, who, how'd they get that past the right for this? <laughs> okay. But yeah, so he unmakes the illusions, and then there's a knock on the door, and Luce is here. Uh, he knows immediately that she wants to borrow his library card so she can visit Amity. So, I mean, he knows. Um, Luce realizes that she hasn't done a very good job of hiding all this, which does imply that she thought she was hiding all of it. So, like, uh, maybe work on your stealth skills, kid. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but no, she actually wants to research the, the last human who lived in Bonesboro that she heard about from Ida's mom. And Gus says he'll help, but he's pretty down in the dumps. He says maybe it's time he tries something else other than illusions. Maybe that's all he's good for. Uh, I guess you could say he's become disillusioned. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you had the soundboard. You could have done a badum tissue there. <laughs> you said not to use the soundboard. <laughs> I said it might not come up. You were like, eh, we probably won't need it for this. Okay, fine. <laughs> I guess you could say he's been disillusioned. Okay. You have, you have achieved a new level of power. <laughs> <laughs> 
This took yeah. me six hours to get working, so I didn't. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, like Again, I said, I'm focusing. <laughs> I feel real bad for the uh, lower amount of work I put into the show. <laughs> I mean, it's like, yeah, it's like during the episodes, I feel like I talk a lot because I do like I usually like have like the Twitter open, but like you've been doing those questions more recently, especially since we moved back to like the format of me doing the number yeah. episode that goes second. But it's like I put in like that a little bit of like I have the artist thing, but it's like I just I feel like I don't do enough now. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like you do end up doing more than me just between the trivia and the artist thing and the. Oh uh, yeah, um, that's true. I do I do do the trivia thing. And, uh... <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. We we did do Lucy's crime count for a bit, but like at the same time, she didn't really have any crimes in episodes three and four. Yeah. Yeah. And not to mention just the knowing more about me in general in this show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> More about this show than me in general. Wow, that was all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's very much that way, too. When, like, when we were watching episode 11 together last week, my roommate and I were like, I was just like talking about stuff. It's like, my, Sam didn't even know about the hidden messages in the titles nor on, in the show through the codes. And I was like, oh, she did not realize the level of dork that she was taking as a roommate. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, that wasn't. Again, that was not a choice. That was the pills. I, I hyper-focused on that. Don't feel bad. Yeah, fair. That wasn't me working. Yeah. That was, yeah. Anyway. Uh, um, yeah. Let's yeah. get back to it. So the Slither Beast uh, from Adventures in the Elements is just running loose in town, and a couple of weird, mysterious teens capture it like it's nothing. Uh, Could have used them back in the Adventures in the Elements, but whatever. <laughs> Uh, Gus is very impressed by their skills in plants, abominations, and construction, respectively. Uh, these are Angmar, Gavin, and Bria. They are students from Glandis High, and also Metholomew was here. Yeah, I have a note here. Why is Metholomew being included in the Glandis kid expedition they planned? Because, like, he goes to Hexite now, and, like, they... I mean, I guess it's really, like, as we see later on in the end, it's just, yeah, Bria's really just fully bullying him to the point where he feels yeah. like he has to go along, I guess. But it's like, Maddie, just tell these kids to fuck off. You don't go to this school anymore. You don't have to deal with them. <laughs> yeah, um, so he, he mentions that he brought them a map, and in order to get it, he had to get noogied by his older brother. So he's, he's getting bullied at home, too, which is fun. Yeah. Um, these kids are looking for something called the Galder Stones, legendary artifacts that enhance magic. Apparently, people go looking for them, like, all the time, but keep getting chased off by the Guardian. So, they do ask Gus for his help. I'm not entirely sure why, but they do. And he's hesitant because of his current concern about illusions. So, even yeah. when Luz pops out of an invisibility spell and starts telling him to go, he doesn't really want to. This holds her breath for like two minutes here, it seems. Yeah, she's been practicing. <laughs> she finally appears, yeah. Lucy's been practicing for like, I don't know, diving into a lake or something, I guess, with how long she can hold her breath. I have no idea. <laughs> but also, also, I kind of just read it like they're just looking for another go for like Maddie, basically, which is why they're like, hey, we can get our dumb hexide student to go along with this, I guess. That's probably true. But yeah, I don't think Bria is an asshole. <laughs> Fair, but yeah, Bria is an asshole, so I wouldn't put yeah. it past her to just find more bodies to just bu bully around. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, Mythologuel says he can't come because since he's an illusionist, he'll just hold them back. And then Luce gets all Lucy because her friend got insulted and tells the others that Gus is a super witch. He 
does not like this at all because he only knows illusion spells. <laughs> yeah, th this is kind of not a great look for Luz. It's like, Luz, like, you, you probably should know by now to not, like, put your friends in this kind of position where you just, like, you know that they can't really follow through on what you're saying about them. Right. Especially, I mean, we've gotten the whole if someone says they don't want to do something, don't force them lessons, so... Yeah, yeah. Like, I feel like multiple times in this show at this point, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, but, yeah, so she hands him a stack of glyphs, saying that this will cover for the illusions, and I do want to point out that when she hands him the stack, her thumb is absolutely touching the glyph on top, and it's not activating, so... <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, again, good. as we see from episode 12, I, sometimes glyphs just decide not to activate if they have stuff touching them, I guess. Or maybe <laughs> in that case, that one might always be active. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so the uh, the grandest kids and Gus and Mithalamule head off to the Looking Glass Rooms, which is located in the Forearm Forest. Uh, in the library, Luce is looking for information about the human, and she finds an old headline about Ida saying that she's flooding the market with dangerous human goods. And then she also finds that a human named Philip Wittabane donated his diary to the library. Uh... I hope y'all are ready for some more library commentary, because this is my big comeback. Welcome to another book episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, right. This is the one you mentioned that you get both book episodes. <laughs> All three of them, yeah. <laughs> what was the third one? I don't remember, but I know there were two so far. Oh, King. It was King's Oh, book. right. Yeah, when, when yeah, he was doing like, the book signing at the library, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like that was less about the library compared to this one, less than language, though. No, that was it just was, but it was it. still a book episode. Fair. Yeah. Uh, so she goes to find Amity, who's... She's in the little kid's room, and her hairband has been stolen by a child. <laughs> <laughs> she agrees to read this child any book the kid wants in order to get it back, and apparently the kid is going to use this to learn to summon the Dark Lord. And I have a lot of questions about what that means in the Boiling Isles. Yeah, like, it, is it, like, Satan? Is it, like, the the bad turf wizard equivalent of, like, a witch that people know is a really terrible guy from the past? I can't say. Mm -hmm. We don't find is out. Is it just Bellows? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I feel like all you have to do to really summon the Dark Lord in that regard is to basically just uh, have a parade float that says Bulos. <laughs> Although, I mean, hey, to be fair, he didn't actually show up for that. He, just sent, like, he didn't even get involved. They just sent guards after yeah. him. Yeah, so um, Amity gets her hair tied back and puts her hair back up, and Luce is watching her from hiding being very gay the way you do. <laughs> oh, super, especially gay. <laughs> <laughs> You know how when the girl you like puts her hair out, it's gay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The only, the only thing more gay that Luce could be doing is fighting Amity in this scene. <laughs> <laughs> so Ed and M show up, and they do tease Luce a little bit, but they're there to find skincare tips for Ed because he says he has a date tonight. And my take on this is that if you have a date tonight, it's too late to be looking for skincare. <laughs> Just uh, I I feel like I mean. Considering what we know about witches, even though they have, like, essentially phones, I feel like they have to do research, like, more in person than, like, having an equivalent of the internet. So, like, maybe it's just a case of, like, I mean, for all we know, maybe he got the date offer, like, earlier that day. So he's like, I gotta hustle before this happens. I mean, maybe. I'm just saying, if you want to make any progress with 
a skincare regimen. It's got to be done consistently. Starting now is not going to do anything but make yeah, it greasy. They also they also <laughs> have magic. Maybe he's looking for just a spell. <laughs> nah, that's fair. Yeah. Also, uh, hey, good boy Ed here. Uh, they definitely do use they them pronouns for his date. So yeah. Ed Ed being the good ally, I guess. Maybe <laughs> Ed's wish we got some more details on that, but yeah, we never hear anything else about it. Yeah. So uh, Amity comes out of the kids' room and finds this, assuming that the twins are bothering Luz, but they kind of see the way that she gets all blushy, and they just run off, more or less. Yeah, like, they, they have also fully figured it out. <laughs> I mean, oh, especially, with the so. fact, especially with the fact that, like, you know, when Luz is like, oh, hey, you're picking up Amity, and I'm like, no, it looks like you got that covered. It's like, yeah, no, they, they fucking know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, no, I uh, I like the twins now. I didn't used to, but they're good now. They're yeah, not like God, anymore. remember when Ed and M were introduced? Uh huh. If we still had that Ed and M, they would definitely be trying to crash Avenue's relationship with Luz. Mm hmm. God. But at the very least, they would have been dropping like direct hints to each other so that we didn't have to wait for Hootie. <laughs> yeah, fair. <laughs> Yeah. But at the same time, I feel like they would have potentially ruined the relationship rather than hasting it along. Yeah, absolutely. So Luz asks Amity for help finding this diary, and Amity says that it has to be kept in the Forbidden Stacks, where only Melphis, Master Librarian, may tread. And Luz is discouraged at first, but Amity says she'll help. Her employee ID can get her in, but if they're caught, she'll lose her job. And... Right off the top, I have organizational problems with this. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, if you just put all your old materials in a place where no one's allowed to access them, why bother keeping them is the thing. I understand wanting to keep an archive, but if nobody can get to them, there's no point in having an archive. <laughs> so the way I read that, it's like you actually have to like request from Malthus to... like get those books like you need special permission from him and like have to have like all of assurances that you won't destroy or damage the book i feel like it's definitely i would be totally cool with that that's great in Mm -hmm. an archive except amity works there and they don't do that like even when luce immediately gets discouraged and says she'll find another way amity says okay no we're gonna go in she doesn't even suggest that they could request access yeah yeah they they are fourteen and also very gay, so maybe they're just not thinking straight. <laughs> I mean, literally in like ten minutes time in this episode, they will both say that they do stupid things around each other. So uh, maybe that's yeah. why. Yeah, maybe. But as it's presented, at the very least, it's a bad system. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't deny that. <laughs> but yeah. Um, but also, they are very gay, so therefore they are being very dumb. <laughs> absolutely, yes. Also, the other note I have, right off the top, if nobody's allowed in here, if only Melphis can go in there, why does Amity's ID open the door? Just don't give her the keys and yeah. it won't be a problem. Yeah, there's also that. Also, the bigger question, why does Amity have a part-time job? She is 14. She's boiling <laughs> out not have town labor laws. You can't have, like, a part-time job until you're, like, 16 in the States, I think. Uh, you can technically have a job at 14, but you're not allowed to work more than, like, four hours a week. It's... Oh really? Huh. Yeah, it's it's what's the, bad. What's the, what's the point of having a job where you can only work less than four hours a week at that age? It's like you know, just uh, child exploitation. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I get that, but like, if you're that young and you're like, I guess it's like you just need extra pocket cash, I guess. Mm-hmm. But it's like I didn't have a job till I was like eight, uh, eighteen, I think. Uh, yeah, no, that's, 
Yeah, that's the yeah, thing that's been going around a lot lately. Uh, fast food places have been trying to hire 14, 15 year olds to get to like have yeah, more workers, but not have to pay them more. Yeah, there's a lot of fucking imagery going on about like people like trying to like. I mean, you saw the thing where like you know truck driver companies are trying to hire like teenagers, and it's like truck driving itself already is fucked up because of the hours yeah. that they expect grown people to work. You cannot have a teenager do that. <laughs> That yeah, is going exactly. to spell disaster. Yeah. So it's it's reasonable that Amity could have a part-time job, especially given I that guess. it seems to be reading books to kids. I can't imagine. That's more than an hour yeah, a day. She, so. Yeah, she, do, she doesn't seem like she does a whole lot more besides there. I mean, she does try to say that's for extra credit, but it's like, no, she clearly does like that. But also it's like, I don't know, maybe it's also because like she has like wealthy family connections, so like maybe... Malthus is like, oh, it's an hour to have a flight or something, or they, yeah. or her parents like were like, hey, hire her because we need her to show that she's a devoted and reliable witch to get into the governor or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, Luz agrees to do everything Amity says so they don't get caught, and they head in. But we cut to the forest where the kids are, sorry, where the kids are talking about the Galder stones, and Gus asks what they are, which is. Maybe something I would have asked earlier, but okay. Uh, Maddie says that if you hold one of them, it boosts the power of every spell you cast. Uh, and also that they don't work on illusions. So my first question is, why hasn't Bellows taken these? Because, like, it seems they'd be super useful to him. And yeah. if the kids know about them, then he absolutely does. I So... so... This, of course, brings up the greater uh, theory about Grimwalkers from episode 9, because, like, there might be other sources of Galder Stones. These might just be the last few that aren't, like, taken by the Emperor's Coven, maybe? That's like, possible. It's kind of, kind of implied that he has all the stuff in the Grimwalker ingredients, if we go by the popular theory. Because, I mean, well, one of the two popular theories, because uh, as we saw in episode 12, one of those other theories got fully broken, I feel like. <laughs> Because it ain't Bellows who's the Grimwalker anymore, I feel. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, yeah, it's like, it's kind of a weird thing. It's like, it, it comes up in like one of the bigger questions of like, how the hell did Matholomew's brother have a map to these things either? I feel <laughs> like it's just, again, this is a show that's designed for like 14-year-old kids mostly, like the age <laughs> of the characters, and we are, well, in my case, I'm 20 years older than that, so it's like, I feel like it's like, don't we're over that analyzing things i feel like that maybe we're not meant to be that's my job um <laughs> you get paid for this i thought we established like we've been losing money on this actually <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so my thought on this was that uh like maybe the calder stones just don't work on synthetic magic it's hard to say but since he doesn't channel magic through a bile sack the way witches do maybe he can't get yeah. the power by holding it yeah, the the bigger question would be like if they do power loses gliss. Like I I would assume not because it's not like she's like casting the spell herself. She's channeling the latent magics of the isles. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Maybe so it's could, also yeah. maybe they are also just like a legendary artifact that needs to tune it by a witch and not a human. <laughs> they give you a plus three to spell attack and save DC, but you need to be an actual witch itself. Class items, fun. <laughs> yeah, so uh, the the other kids, the Glandis kids, also give some of their uh, motivation here, 
Uh, Angmar wants to grow his own forest to create a butterfly sanctuary, and Gavin wants to create the biggest abomination to impress his dad. And Bria and Maddie don't actually say anything about what they want, though, which felt like inconclusive in the moment since rule of threes, but whatever. Uh, they mm. come to a huge wall of thorns, and Matholomew kind of pushes Gus to the front, sort of making fun of the super witch that Luce had called him. But Gus is able to use a fire glyph to just blast through. <laughs> and while the others cheer, Matholomew says he's suspicious, and they keep going. But uh, in the library, uh, Luce and Amity arrive in the Forbidden Stacks, which are very pretty, but also pretty poorly organized. Books are just kind of <laughs> sitting haphazardly on top of shelves and crammed in things, and it, it's a mess. And also just flying all over, so maybe you can't access the books, because if the stacks are forbidden, then nobody's checking them out, so they shouldn't need to be moved. Unless mm, don't worry about it. <laughs> they're just being examined for damage. I don't know. So they spot Malthus, who kind of looks like Cousin It, but with arms, and he's floating around on a large book labeled Staff. Oh, I didn't notice the book that... I, I know I noticed the book, I didn't realize it says Staff. Yeah, I guess like it's also, a book again, all his employees. Yeah, it's like, but also, again, like, if Malthus only went in here, I feel like he doesn't need the book that says he's a member of the Staff if he's the only one allowed in, and everybody mm -hmm. knows that he's, like, the head librarian. <laughs> <laughs> like, everybody knows yeah. who this guy is, clearly. Yeah, so they're able to hide. He doesn't spot them. And this is when Amity says that he's the one who gave her the job in the study room from way back in Lost in Language. So apparently he is very nice, apart from the fact that he would feed them to bookworms if he caught them. And there's a little cute moment here with um, Luce explaining that, what that means in the human world. And then she does the gayest thing you can and offers to show her girlfriend around her hometown. <laughs> Uh, not girlfriend yet in like a few weeks, but yeah, basically, but yeah. basically more or less indirectly asking her out on a human date. But also like, I also just like the notion that like Luce at this point has been in the Boiling Alice for at least three months. Like Luce from way back in season one early on in those episodes would be freaked out about the bookworms. At this point, she's like, yeah, those things totally exist. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> you you mentioning those like, sure, those exist. Uh -huh. I get it. There's that nothing. Nothing surprises me anymore at this point. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, back in the forest, Maddie gets caught by a snake, and Gus frees him with a plant glyph. Uh, Bria kind of falls back and explains to Gus that Matholomew couldn't handle Glandis, that she's not surprised he's not doing well out here. Because at Glandis, the weak students there get pushed around by the strong ones. This is why they want the Galderstones, to stop getting bullied. So, like, we talk a lot of crap about Hexide. But at least it's not built on a uh, survival of the fittest, sort of. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> yeah. Like, don't get me wrong, there's bullying in every school, but at least it's not school policy in every yeah. school. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, Basha literally goes to Hexide, so it's like, yeah, bullying does happen, yeah. and then all those teachers let her get away, up to and including literal murder, as Bump had suggested. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, like, but it seems like even then Glandis is like even more steps down of like this school definitely needed to probably be like re-examined or just fully closed. <laughs> but yeah, um, they find a spooky wall out in the middle of the woods and Bria tries to get Angmar to be a lookout, but he's distracted by a butterfly and she does threaten him. So this is the first time we see her facade start to break. Mm-hmm. Uh, they head inside and find a spooky ruin full of statues that are holding the Galder Stones. 
Freya immediately grabs one and casts just a huge construction spell, like, seen from miles away. Anybody can find this place now. Yep, And when she, when she does this, the other kids grab their own stones and just sort of start going wild, while Gus looks at the names on the graves. Uh, he finds uh, Mari the Phantom Bringer, Aleth the Vision Creator, and then Kari the Mirage Maker. I don't like that they are Mari and Kari. I get it, but I don't yeah. like it. <laughs> oh, so you not know that the names are references? I do not. Okay, this is part of the trivia I have here. Let me scroll to see it. Uh, da, 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 da. Yes, the illusionists on the graves are old crew members. Mari Elazor is a color designer, and Aleph Romanios, I apologize if I'm putting their names, and Kari Cephas are prop designers. So that's why that's why they are similar, because it just happens that they have two people on the staff named Mari and Kari. I appreciate that they appreciate their staff, but like, I don't know. Maybe it's it, it it like the different the names were, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, maybe, maybe like it selected something other than Kari or Mari. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I don't it's, know. It's just too similar. Unless they picked all the people with names that rhymed, that would have been very funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So he's confused about these because all of these names are like illusionist titles. So this is when he realizes that it's an illusionist graveyard, not a ruin at all. Uh, Maddie's kind of put off by this. I keep saying Maddie because that's what Bria calls him, even though that's not his name. Yeah, I mean, hey, I mean, back when we like were dealing with him back in like episode nine of season one, I was calling him Maddie too. I think because yeah. it's like we know he eventually gets called Maddie even by Gus at times. So it's like it's it's also it's easier to say Maddie than Bartholomew. <laughs> Because it's like, you you could put a gun to my head and tell and say, you need to spell Mythology, and I'm like, well, you might as well pull the trigger, because I ain't going to get it right. <laughs> I mean, just watch with subtitles, you get used to it. Um, <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, eh, whatever. <laughs> but yeah, Bria does not care, even when Gus tells her that they shouldn't be stealing from these dead people. Uh, she actually encourages him to take one, because I guess she thinks that they will power up his incredible spells. Because, um, like, it's fine to take them. They wouldn't be useful to these illusionists anyway. But he does stand up to her and say she can't have them, so good for you, kid. But then, I mean, like, he's talking up to people who are much more powerful than usual. So this goes very well, as I'm sure you can guess. Yep. <laughs> uh, this is when the Guardian shows up. It's some kind of, like, cross between a shelter and a whale. And it's just flashing lightning and wind all over the place. Uh, Angmar and Gavin say that they've heard it can summon weather and ghosts. Uh, at which point Bria decides to attack it and we cut away. <laughs> yeah, also worth bringing up, uh, when Bria is like, talking to Gus, she definitely uses the term high def. How the hell does Bria know what HD means? <laughs> I do not know. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I guess maybe, like, there might be HD crystal balls, because crystal balls basically seem like they're TVs and also, like, communication devices. So, like, maybe yeah. there were standard def crystal balls at one point, but it's, like, it's just very funny, because I'm like, hey, obviously I get that she's saying high def for the sake of the audience, where she's making a joke about illusions, but it's like, she definitely would not know what high def means in the context <laughs> of a world that does not know what TV is until Luce introduced people to what TV is. Yeah. Well, yeah, um, so back in the library, Amity and Luce reach the part of the stacks which houses donations from the Deadwardian era, which is notated as the 1600s. And again, there's just some not great archiving going on here. 
maybe if Malthus just let any of his employees in here to tidy things up, maybe if he had a dedicated archivist, this place is just a mess. <laughs> also worth pointing out, uh, the, the spoof of the uh, Edwardian period is not actually the 1600s. It was actually historically in the 1900s. <laughs> so for some reason, the Boiling Alice has a slightly different calendar with eras, I guess. <laughs> I mean, like, obviously, I guess there have never time. been kings in the Boiling Isles, so I don't know what it's named after. Also, that yeah, there's not been kings until like Bellows basically came around and sat on the th on a throne he created and was like, "All right, I rule now, you fuckers." Yeah. So who knows? Obviously, I get that it's there for the sake of the fun and because they wanted to have the person that made the portal door be and the oldie Britishy person. Yeah. Um. So. Things are just sort of crammed randomly on shelves. I mean, books stacked diagonally sideways, uh, scrolls, just all sorts of stuff slammed in there. And also there are mice all over the place, little dudes with skull heads, kind of like mouse versions of King. Uh, Amity touches a book on a shelf and it just crumbles to dust, so they aren't mm -hmm. like preserving their collection either. <laughs> no. <laughs> I used to like this library a lot, but I'm not super sure about that anymore. The only thing it really has going for it down here is the aesthetic. <laughs> but yeah, um, Luz grabs a book at random, and it just happens to be the one she needed because she has protagonist powers. Mm -hmm. But all of the pages have been eaten by one of these king mice that was sitting inside the book. And Luz gets very mad and yells at it, which sets off the alarm and alerts Malthus. Who also great. Sorry, I was also going to say, also creates a meme, because people definitely use the you little rat meme in regards to Disney having cancelled the Owl House randomly. <laughs> <laughs> definitely have seen tons of fan comics of Luce chasing after Mickey saying, you little rat. <laughs> yeah, um, so Malthus swoops up behind them ominously, and the, the stage lighting gets all dark, and his voice is super deep as he chants Amity's name. And we actually get a look at him. Uh, it turns out that when we saw him before, and he just looked like he was cousin it. That was actually his wings, which were covering him. He's more like a bird man. Uh, it's very ominous. And then we immediately cut to outside the library, where Malthus is just calmly telling Amity how disappointed he is, and he's talking like a surfer dude. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm super into his voice here at this part, where like we hear what he actually sounds like, and he's just like, I'm just like super disappointed in you. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. It's very, it's very funny contrast. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, I mean, not to get ahead of myself, but that is Fred Tadesquire, or Tadesquire? I forget how to pronounce his last name. Vo voice DM. I will get to him later, because he has so many voice credits, and it's like, dang, oh, yeah. I didn't realize that was that guy. <laughs> That's fucking Soldier 76 there. Yeah. <laughs> to go with, like, Overwatch, considering that I remember when I was talking about Overwatch a couple days ago in the video game subthread of Discord. <laughs> dang. Really incredible hope to me. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, so... Malthus fires Amity and takes her ID and then slams the doors behind him. And there is another giant keyhole on these doors. It's not as big as the one in the island, but, like, that's the mm -hmm. second one of these we've seen in a few episodes. Yeah. Um, Us apologizes, but Amity just doesn't want to hear it. She's really emotional right now. And she says that being around Lusa makes her do stupid things, and she wishes it didn't. Which absolutely brings Luce to tears, and... Luce says that she also does stupid things, but uh, Amity just kind of leaves. So we cut back to the graveyard where Gus is trying to conjure another guardian to like fight the one, or distract it at least. 
but it only lasts a second and then fizzles out. And then the first one does too, revealing an old, old dude. This is the keeper of the Looking Glass Graveyard, and I don't think he ever gets a name. No, he doesn't. <laughs> I looked it up as well because like this guy gets a little cameo in episode 11, and it's like, yeah, he, he's just officially called the keeper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he's thrilled to have a visitor who's an illusionist. Uh, he says that illusionists have always kept watch over the Galder Stones because they can't use them, and so they can't use them for evil, probably, which is interesting. Um, the other kids saw this, though, and so now they know he's an illusionist and the Guardian isn't anything to worry about, so they just restrain them and start grabbing stones. Maddie takes one, but Angmar grabs it out of his hands and... Bria tells him that this is just Glandis rules. You know, you can have whatever if you're strong enough to take it. So this is where Mythologue gets a little... He half apologizes. He says he didn't know they would do this. And that this is just like Bria is at school. So what I'm hearing is that he knew she would do this. Pretty much. But Gus is still pretty disheartened, saying she's right about illusions just being party tricks. And Mythologue says he used to think that too until Gus saved him from the detention pit, which... Okay, but you were still making fun of him earlier. Um, he then uses construction magic to make a saw out of stone and and, and cut the vines that are holding Gus and the Keeper. I don't know how... Yeah, th- this this just gives more credence to what I think I said uh, episodes ago about construction magic basically just being earthbending, it seems. Because, <laughs> like, I mean, Bria basically does just make a big stone pillar when she had the Gullistone at first, and then mm-hmm. just fully, like, consu- like you know, put a bunch of, like, a ground barrier around the, the uh, sliver beast. So it's like, it's basically just earthbending. Yeah. So it's I like, I guess this is like a subset, about like... The fact that this thing actually cuts, like... Yeah. It, it shouldn't mean, it, have an edge on it. It's not obsidian yeah. or anything. No, it, it might I mean, it might be something similar to, like, metal bending, where it's like, oh, there's metal, there's impurities in metal, but it's like, obviously he's just using, he's just something like a rock. And just also the fact that he just like casually snaps it off there, the 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 stone saw from the rest of the stone. It's like I read that was very brutal. Or Maddie is uh, small as fuck. <laughs> well, construction column canon- canonically has super strength, so yeah. I mean, that first guy we saw, he threw a house. <laughs> he did throw a house, but also he's the construction head. Uh, yeah, he's the coven leader. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the keeper who is free now says that he will call the hounds, and I don't know why he didn't do that the second people showed up in his graveyard, but whatever. Uh, I guess it would be mauling stu- kids. Also, he didn't really know that, like, there were multiple people. He just, at the time, he just thought it was just Gus. Uh, yes, when Gus summoned the illusion, but they all did walk in being really loud. Was he asleep? Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah, he might. Have, he is an old man. He might have been asleep. <laughs> like maybe he woke up when Bria did the big stone column, and he's like, "Oh, shit's going on. Oh no." Yeah. Uh, so Gus tells him not to call the hounds and says he'll handle it creatively. So we look to the other three, and they are just playing catch with the ancient, incredibly powerful artifacts. They sure are. <laughs> They accidentally break one of the statues, the torso just falls off, and they think it's pretty funny, but then Angmar is distracted by a horrifically pink butterfly. (laughs) Uh, At this point, Bria suggests that they could keep the large stones and sell the small ones to the Emperor's Coven, but, like, honey, no. (laughs) Uh, We saw what happened to Blight Industries. Um, Yeah. 
it's also a case of like, I mean, if they went to the Emperor's castle with that offer, he would just definitely definitely stick the guards on them and just like just take that shit from them. They're kids. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um. So she sees Angmar wander off after the butterfly into just a sudden bank of fog, and he stops responding to her orders. At which point she says she doesn't need him, and then Gavin's dad shows up, telling him that he's proud. And this is just Gavin, but with a mustache. Like, yep. he's not even older. Nope. <laughs> but he, he offers to take Gavin for ice cream, and then they also disappear into the fog. Uh, Bria says that she doesn't need either of them, actually, and that this just means more stones for her, and she's not afraid of illusionists. And then we get some of the most gnarly imagery we've seen in this show. Yeah, uh, yeah. this is like <laughs> one of the legit, like, this is like, again, I am a 34-year-old uh, adult, and it's like, dang, this is like illusion that goes pills on Bria. It's actually kind of nightmarish. Yeah, he's not. <laughs> yeah, so the, uh, the statues that are on all the graves come to life, and they're now bleeding from their faces, and the one whose torso they broke is just crawling towards her, trying to grab her. And mm-hmm. she tries to cast a spell, but it, it just doesn't work. The spell circle fizzles. And then her hands turn to stone and break off. Yes. <laughs> like, it's like, if it wasn't enough that, like, the statues are bleeding from their eyes, the fact that we do get that image of her hands petrifying and then crumbling away, like, how did they get this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. how were they able to put this on the air? Yeah. So uh, she, she's, like, talking out loud, reminding herself that it's all an illusion and that it can't hurt her or touch her. At which point, the broken torso of the statue from earlier grabs her leg and looks up at her to reveal that it has her face also bleeding from the eyes. <laughs> uh, I didn't, she I didn't notice it's runs. her face. Yeah, like, I, it I didn't, absolutely yeah, is. I, I didn't realize it was Bria's face. I'll have to look back at that. <laughs> yeah, so she very understandably runs, screaming that the whole place is cursed. And the illusion fades away, revealing that Gus was on the ground. He's the one that grabbed her. He put an illusion over the entire graveyard, which is why her magic didn't work. She just couldn't see it through the illusion. And uh, the Keeper is very impressed by this and says that if Gus keeps honing his powers of observation, he'll be able to do anything. But Gus is still a little bit down on illusions at this point, saying that he can't fix the glamage, the damage that the Glandis kids did. Fix the glamage, honestly. The glamage. <laughs> the glam did. <laughs> So they leave, Gus and Metholomew leave the graveyard, and Gus asks if they if this means that they are friends now. But uh, Metholomew isn't sure. They walk off, sort of mocking each other in a friendly way, and give him a big hand, everybody. That's a series wrap on Gus. Yeah, um, no, no, Gus is going to be in episode, three, episode 13. I keep going to say episode 3. <laughs> but, <laughs> he, he seems like he's participating in the new sport with Willow, and also Hunter, and Viney, of all people. Oh god, I forgot about that, where it's like, oh right, I guess, I actually put down the nine notes for the trivia, it's like, I guess I should cover Viney's voice actress, because she's going to show up again. <laughs> we definitely did not cover any of their voices back in the first day, because like, these ain't characters, goodbye. Yeah. And then, oops. Everything we said about season two that we said would never happen is happening. Every character, <laughs> we're like, oh, they don't matter. They come back. What the fuck? I guess I'll talk about Tibbles as voice actor when he comes back, huh? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. I hope he dies again. Um... <laughs> 
Yeah, so we cut away to Amity's room, and she is all depressed because of losing her job. And Em is brushing her hair while Ed prepares for his date. So they are being good siblings, you know, for a change. Um, she talks about how confused she is around Luce and how she feels things that she never used to. And uh, Em asks if that's okay, saying that she wasn't happy before, so isn't this better? And then she changes the subject. So, like, we haven't really talked about it. But as this season has gone on, Emity's hair has been getting progressively more brown, um, just so her roots are showing. She's been dyeing her hair this whole time. And Em asks if she wants to re-dye it, but there's a cut, and Emity asks how she looks. We, we don't see her, but the twins tell her that she looks great, and not to tell her mom that they were involved. <laughs> At which point there is a knock on the door, and it's loose, all messed up and with paper in her hair, but she has Amity's staff ID card. Uh, burnt and messed up, but she's got it. Uh, she apologizes, saying she understands that Amity doesn't want to see her anymore, but is very distracted by the brand new purple hair edition Amity. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't blame her. It's a good look. Oh, yeah, it's good. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Amity takes her ID and asks what happened after she mentions that her hair was green because her mom liked it that way, but she wanted a change. So, Blue says that to convince Melphus to give Amity's job back, she had to do some trials and also categorize man-eating books and also tame something called a paper dragon. So I think I know why the archiving is so bad in this library. It's because he <laughs> just waits until someone messes up and then makes them do it. Pretty much. <laughs> huh. um, so at this point, Amity points out that Luce also has one of the king mice attached to her, and Luce gets upset because this is the one that ate Philip's diary. And I don't know how she knows that on sight, but she does. And she grabs it, and Amity calms her down, saying that it's actually an echo mouse. Apparently, they can eat written words and then project the knowledge of everything they ate. And this is just some crazy magic. I don't, like... She scratches it behind its head, and it shoots beams out of its eyes. It's projecting, like you would with a, a laser projector or something. Mm -hmm. But not only are we hearing Philip Whittabay narrate everything he wrote in the diary, but also there are animatic illustrations... Uh, I, he didn't draw those. No, he didn't. <laughs> you didn't. Like, I, well, I, I think, do not understand hmm. how this works. But hang on, if we can say a little bit from elsewhere and elsewhere, he definitely does have some drawings in his diary. So maybe he did draw bits of it. Maybe bits of it, but this is like a, a full yeah, like on yeah, this animation. is like a <laughs> yeah, this is like a puppet show movie kind of deal. Yeah, exactly. And his voice wasn't in the book, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's a lot. <laughs> it, it might it might just be again like this is like some like lingering magic is in the diary or something, and also the echo mice. Like the echo mice aren't magical themselves; they're just creatures that can basically regurgitate this stuff. So like I yeah, feel like maybe the magic was in the book itself, and the echo mouse is able to do this because it ate that stuff. <laughs> but um, yeah, so however all this information is happening. Uh, Philip writes about trying to create a portal to get back home. Um, he's narrating about the demon realm and how it's horrible and wonderful, and he wishes that other humans can see it. But if he can build a portal, then maybe they can? Um, the image at this point is Ida's portal door, so I'm not sure, like... Are we being told that it's the same one, or do they just all look like that? I don't know. I think, I think it's implied it's the same one. Yeah. But again, like, we, we honestly don't know just yet. We might find out, like, in the next couple of weeks, for all we know. Yeah. 
Yeah, very possible. Especially again, especially again with the context of elsewhere and elsewhere. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Luce thanks the Echo Mouse, saying she hopes they can be friends. And Amity tells her not to worry about that because she has a way of sneaking into people's hearts. And then she kisses Luce on the cheek. Uh, they both get embarrassed, and Amity runs away, saying goodbye forever. Uh, as Ed and M look on approvingly out the window, um, the front door slams shut behind her as Luce falls to her knees in what looks like the most painful way possible. And <laughs> I mean, there, she's already fallen like uh, once before in a much pa- more painful way when she tried to do a split for the first time ever. So like slightly less painful than that. <laughs> I don't know, because I mean, the way she drops here, like. Her she shins the... go out from under her, and she lands she, directly she, on her she, knees. She drops in the classic, like, anime protagonist girl running straight to school with a piece of toast in her mouth, pitting uh, it to something. <laughs> kind of deal. <laughs> I mean, kind of. It's like half that and half just a dead drop straight down. Mm. I, I don't know. It's a lot. But yeah, that's this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yep, she... She absolutely was directly looking back at Emily's lips after the kiss. <laughs> well, Amity was being a bushy mess. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's why yep. we never saw Gus again. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, it's like, it's a really strange one because it's like, I feel like most people only ever focus on the movie stuff from this episode considering there's a lot. And it's like, oh, poor Gus, this episode gets eclipsed entirely by all the sapphic stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like, I mean, I can still appreciate because it's very good, like, representation and all and also it's like again it would usually take us like until the very last scene of a whole series to get like any amount of like implication of a relationship between two characters that are both yeah. women or anything like that and meanwhile this is like a straight up like cheek kiss <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh i don't think i really have much else about it that we haven't already covered uh, oh uh, there is one thing actually i did not notice it at first this is actually the episode where emily changes her leggings because they used to be, oh, mag- yeah. like, her ca- her casual life in mag- uh, leggings used to be magenta, and then now it's dark red. I super did not notice this until I was looking at the Arrow House wiki that mentioned the- in the trivia. <laughs> I was like, huh, okay, just tr- somehow never noticed. The I guess it would be, like... That I have. Oh, I'm sorry. Nah, I guess it would just be, like, way too much purple for her, so she's like, yeah, I'll pick something that still fits, but isn't just also purple. There's no such thing. I... Uh, uh... I don't know. I wear it all purple all the time. Yeah, fair. <laughs> yeah, um, the only other note I had is that I was a little bit disappointed by the library. Like, not that I haven't already thoroughly <laughs> excoriated them, <laughs> but usually when we go to the library, there's cool subject headings and fun book sections, and there was just none of that this time. So I guess they didn't have as much time to make background jokes. <laughs> Yeah, I think it was, like, because, like, a lot of the episode is, like, the loose anatomy plot feels like it's kind of more the B plot. I mean, it feels like it's definitely Gus is the A plot in this, even yeah. though, I, again, everybody talks about the Lumity stuff and not the Gus stuff as much. Mm-hmm. But it's, like, I feel like if it wasn't that they were trying to do both storylines at the same time, it would have been, like, way more about the library adventure. That's probably kind of fair. Yeah. They, again, they did not get enough time because Disney's one CEO is an asshole. <laughs> I do kind of wonder why Luce hasn't bothered to get her own library card, but other than that, yeah, I think I'm done. <laughs> yeah, that, I don't know. Maybe she just doesn't qualify for one because, like, don't as a kid, don't you usually need, like, a parent or guardian's permission to get a library card? That's like, Ida uh, technically isn't really either, even though she essentially is. To a degree, yeah, but 
like I don't know. It depends on the library. Yeah. You can usually get your own card by the time that you're like old enough Maybe. to process information. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I also kind of just feel like most of the time she probably doesn't go to the library by herself. Does she just go hang out with family? It's probably like she ever goes with Willow or Gus, and it's just in this case she's like, eh, I'm just going by myself because uh, Luce is like very much like even larger gay awakening from episode two. <laughs> <laughs> even though she's known, she's known for a while that she's bi, but like I feel like at this point she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> this girl this girl definitely likes me back. All right. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, that's all I got. All right. Then I guess uh, we'll just go into my uh, super fucking long uh, details for episode six, Hunting Talisman. Oh. All right. Uh, yeah. Hunting Talisman opens with a meeting between Bellos, Kikimura, the Golden Guard, which I don't know why in my notes I keep having Golden Guard because we're going to find out his name in like five minutes, episodes time. And, oh, actually, no, no it's, like, right, it's near the end, whatever. And uh, the various coven heads. With uh, one definitely having a hood uh, over their face, even though it's like at this point everybody figured out who they were based on uh, different pictures that were in another old photo from Fencing the One. <laughs> oh, whatever. We don't know them yet, so we can't say. Uh, and Kiki Moore announces that they will be shown a preview of what will transpire on the Day of Unity. They all uh, receive a vision of the Titan's head, eyes glowing, and it appearing in what looks like a human city with a bit of an audible scream being heard in the background, presumably by the various people fucking freaked out about the fact that there's a giant skull in the town. <laughs> uh, Bellows explains that the... I would welcome hmm? new giant skull overlords. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, after the last few years of bullshit, it's like, if a giant skull just popped up in, like, New York City, I'd be like, yeah, that... That tracks for 2022 at this point. <laughs> like, yeah, that's really kind of surprising at this point, I feel like that. But yeah, uh, Bellus explains that the larger the various covens grow, the more power they have to unite our realms. He specifies our realms, not the realms, so it's like, it feels like he already is trying to claim dominance of the human realm, I guess. With the ultimate goal being to eliminate wild magic from this union. He then suffers from some chest pain, which, uh, big same there, buddy, from the last week and a half myself. <laughs> and the Golden Guard takes him to his throne room while telling Kikimura to remain since he can handle it. He kind of gives him, like, a bit of a stink eye, because, like, he's basically taking over her spot as, like, Bellus' assistant, more or less. We then see, he then gets to the throne room, and Bellus falls to his knees, his mask falls off his head, and we get this, like, a shadow of him on the wall of him transforming into some sort of goopy sludge monster, which slams its arm against a pillar until he eventually regains control of himself and reforms his normal arm. <laughs> he then puts his cracked mask back on, which I don't remember it cracking when it falls, but it's cracked now and has some goop still leaking out. And, uh, the Golden Guard hands him... Well, actually, I have in my notes. He cracks open the cold talisman with the golden boy. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you want to use that as a title, but it's in there as well. I typed. And, but he says he needs more because I guess it's, again, his curse is like advancing or whatever he did to himself. And the Golden Guard explains that the palisman wood has been over and that that was the last palisman in their reserves. And then he drops the reveal that Bellus is his uncle because he just straight up says, Uncle, let me help. And says that he had read a method of using wild magic to create more palismen, but Bellos just gives him a glare over his shoulder to shut him up. <laughs> Bellos then implores him to be careful since their entire family is gone because of wild magic. And we also get the shot of Kikimura listening at the door as Bellos tells the Golden Guard to go find him more palismen. 
the intro plays, and it's slightly different now, because we have Eden, her new outfit from episode 4, King has his horn attached, and has the castle mark on his collar that he did at the end of episode 3, and Amity has her purple hair, red leggings, and her new necklace, which we haven't actually seen yet, because she didn't have it in the previous episode, but she will mm -hmm. soon. It's just fun to note that that's the necklace that stumped many fan artists who thought it was the Crescent Moon, when it's really just a gem inside of, like, a gold, like, encasement or whatever. <laughs> but yeah. We don't get to see that it's fully like that from the front of it until episode 11. But it's like, yes, it's confirmed that's not across the moon. Which is disappointing, because she has kind of a moon aesthetic to her. But yeah. We then see Luz trying to persuade the Echo Mouse to give up the goods, but Ida interrupts saying that she'll be late for school, where she's going to get her staff today. So Luz just immediately changes out of her pajamas in an instant to run to the door with Ida. <laughs> And the, the students gather at the grocery field where Luce is told by Willow that Amity stayed home from school, which Luce says makes sense, but like some people definitely read it as, oh, she probably got grounded because of her hair. But at the same time, I feel like her mom wouldn't make her stay home from school because of that. Like, I feel like she would just be grounded and like only be allowed to leave for school. But I guess mm -hmm. maybe maybe Odalia hasn't noticed that her daughter has changed her hair because we actually just haven't seen Odalia since episode two at all. And we don't know when we'll see her again, because it seems like episode 4 is going to be focused on Alador instead. <laughs> you know, uh, 14, I keep saying 4 because I'm thinking it's reset because of season 2B. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, uh, for some reason, uh, yeah, lose. No, all right, it's just I'm like, yeah, like she stayed over school for some reason, can't say what that might be. Nope, not at all. <laughs> Uh, Ida and Bump come by to start things off, and we see that Bump's palisman is this little, like, weird hat hood thing for Ewan. Which helps him see because he's missing an eye, and we also see that Bell that uh, not Bell's bump has like long, black, luxurious hair. <laughs> he kind of has a little bit of, like a magical girl transformation when he takes his hat, like his hat talisman off. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, yeah definitely. He, yeah, but he explains the same limitation that like uh, Bell, uh the Golden Guard gave of like yeah, like the palisman wood has been over harvested, so the students can't craft their own palisman. But instead, the back thing arrives with a bunch of the owners' palisman we saw, because they're gonna just do palisman adoption day instead. Ida basically like organizes this and tries to cash in her favor with back queen by giving her back the whistle. But back queen just tells her to keep it for another time because she's totally into this idea to get the palisman new homes. <laughs> and then we see a little red cardinal palisman trying to sneak away. Should we just say his name because it's like officially said in that charity thing, or should we wait until they say it in the show? I think we should probably wait until they say it in the show. Like, okay, fair. Yeah, I probably know that charity might... charity thing, but yeah. Yeah, probably know that might be next episode. Yeah, probably know that might be next episode because Hunter shows up in it. But yeah. yeah. We, I will just refer to him as the Cardinal then. Or Little Rascal, as uh, Luz Rascal calls him when perfect. he tries to sneak away. Yeah. Uh, but Bump puts him back in. Uh, Backwing explains that the Palisman she watches over need a like-minded partner that needs to hear their dearest wish. And Basha just complains about wanting her own talisman not a hand-me-down because she's a little shit. So Willow <laughs> pushes her aside to go first and just says she wants to be strong and wise to protect the ones she loves and that she'll crush those against her way. <laughs> Which, uh, yeah, gets her a little bee named Clover. Uh, Basha then decides that she does want a talisman because she's like, well, Willow gets one, I can't stand by and let her get what she wants and not me get it. And she just wants to say she wants to play professional grudge me, so she gets a uh, sweet little match and Maya the crab because she's just a crabby little asshole. <laughs> and like I said, Viney's here. She has voice lines. Gerbil's here too, but Gerbil says nothing. And Barkus is just gone. Where's my boy Barkus? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I guess Barkus can't really wield a staff except in his mouth, I guess. But at the same time, he's still a student. 
Barkus deserves a talisman. <laughs> but yeah, Viney gets a manticore when she says she wants to open a pet for, uh, vet for mythical pets. Gus goes next and says that his dad wants to become a master illusionist, but he wants to become an ambassador to the human realm and reconnect with the giraffes, which <laughs> I don't know how the rest of the uh, wisdom is going to take that, considering they exiled them for a reason. But yeah, he has... Yeah, uh, as I recall, wasn't the reason just that they were too weird? Yeah, I think it's like either just says that they're just a bunch of freaks. <laughs> I think yeah. we're <laughs> reasoning. But yeah, he gets a chameleon, because again, illusions, but I don't think the chameleon ever gets a name, at least not in this episode. Definitely yeah. not so far. Yeah. Uh, I'll just skip over like a few other students that don't have names that get talisman. Uh, Luz eventually is up, and she just says that she wants to be a witch, but no talisman comes for for her because BQ says that she doesn't sense conviction from Luz. And Bump suggests specifying what kind of witch she wants to be because there are multiple kinds of witches. When mm -hmm. Luz responds that she... Like, when he asks uh, Luz what she hopes to accomplish through her magic, she gives a vague answer of returning to her mom... But Gus then pipes up saying, like, asking if she would still train to be a witch in the human realm. And then Basha rudely interrupts saying, asking if she can even do magic there. And <laughs> at this point, Luz is just fully panicking and admits she didn't think about this this far. And, like, either extra, she's okay. But we just cut to that night at the Owl House where she's still kind of going through her panic attack where she muses over how she wanted to be a witch like Ida and Azura. But also admits that she's read multiple Isekai stories where the main character goes back home and mentions that... What, was she just going to be a witch still in Connecticut? <laughs> Which, <laughs> again, wasn't until, like, a few weeks into doing the show that I'm like, dang, I'm moving, I'm actually moving to the same state that Dana's in and from, where Luz is from, because that's where I am now. <laughs> Weird coincidence. <laughs> yeah, uh, Eden and King are peeking in, like, through the open door a little bit, listening to Luz, just kind of panic. And they look at each other with a liquid determination before walking off to go take care of something. A uh, little rascal it pops out of Luz's bag because he, like, snuck about her bag just because he's just a little mischief maker and wanted to just walk around, I guess, free of the little enclosure. And she quickly realizes that he didn't sneak aboard for her sake. So she goes and, like, puts her cloak on and takes him back to go bring him back to the other palisman. And when she sees the remaining palisman there at the nest, she decides to stay there and talk with them to figure out her future because she doesn't want to leave without having her little palisman partner. We don't get a, a really a good idea of how much time passes, but she doesn't really get much closer to figuring out her future at age 14, which, valid, yeah. she is a child. <laughs> like, a lot of adults, myself included, don't know what the fuck they want to do with their lives, so it's like, you have plenty of time, Luz, to figure it out. But, yeah. I do actually want to ask while we're here, mm -hmm. do you think, like, so Rascal snuck away with Luz, but... Why is my question? Was he just being a rascal, or yeah, I, I think it's I think it's cognitive sense. I think it's just him being a bit of a goofball. I mean, he tried to escape before and bumping him back in. I think it's just him being like, again, just like a little bit rattleless or something like that, and just like wandering off. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, yeah, it just it's a little weird. It kind of feels like maybe he's looking for his person, but. It, it could be, I mean, considering how the episode ends and also implications from yesterday's lie. So <laughs> who can really say what's going on with Flo Rascal? But yeah, I don't know. He's here and not for her, so she's going to bring him back. But yeah, uh, after a little bit, like while Luz is just there hanging on the nest, talking about the Palsman about trying to figure shit out, uh, the Palsman nest really rumbles really heavily and Luz like, opens the door and sees that being kidnapped by an airship. <laughs> she uses a plant glyph to make a vine to climb up to the side of the ship and sees the golden guard at the helm 
And like along the way, she grabs a leaf from the vine, which she draws a fire glyph onto, and slaps onto his back, just propelling that dumbass off the ship. <laughs> <laughs> like a very comical and probably lethal of all the G forces he's experiencing of how haphazard his flight is. Definitely would have broken his neck, probably, in that, but whatever. He's got magic, so maybe he's fine. But yeah, uh, he's still got his staff, though, so he just flies back onto the ship and just makes a magic rope to just ensnare her and throw her against the side. He fully threatens her of being locked into the conformatory for the rest of her life, which he just did, but Luce laughs it off because she's already broken out of there twice so far. So he's just like, well, we'll just, like, vaporize you, I guess, instead when we get to the castle. He goes back to the helm, and Luce, uh, in her struggle, notices that she can just scuff the floorboard, so she just makes an icicle glyph and uses it to knock his staff off the ship. So, like, even, even with having only her feet access to her, Luce has, like, pretty good aim. <laughs> like, she has gotten super good at her glyphs. <laughs> but yeah, uh, the Golden Guard at that point, uh, who has never watched any meeting in his life, tempts fate by saying that it would take more than that to stop him, because a giant dragon made out of hands shows up and crashes the ship. <laughs> dragon idiot. Uh, Luce wakes up to the little rascal, picking her ropes open, and she picks up the Golden Guard staff, which just happened to land right next to her. Sorry, did you have something else to bring up? Uh, yeah, I was actually going to ask, do you know, do we ever get a name for this thing, or is it just the Hands Dragon? Uh, it doesn't actually, I mean, it gets an implied name, I don't know if it's the canonical name of it, but Luce does refer to it by a name in episode 11 when it shows up again. Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll get there in a few weeks time but yes it, it does seem like it has a name but at the same time she might have just named it because who knows <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah uh lucy's the golden guard laying nearby and over here some emperor's coming guards and kikimura like in the distance like laying claim to the palace of the nest because they apparently landed without any damage to them and she also lies about Kiki about uh golden guard's death because she has his mask and says that yep he's totally dead but as soon as all the guards walk away, she whistles to get the dragon to show up, feeds it the mask, and tells it to finish the job. So Luce and Little Rascal go to wake up the Golden Guard because she's too nice to let him just be eaten and everything. And sees that without his mask on, he really just looks like a kid because he's got like the whole like gap tooth kind of deal, and he has like a scar on his like uh, I guess lower jaw and lower like right side of his face and everything. He, he just looks like a bit of a dork, really. <laughs> he is a child. Yeah. He is, I think canonically he is 16, so like only a little bit older. Uh, she he doesn't look 16, is the thing. No, he really doesn't. He looks like he's basically the same age, if not maybe like a year younger. But I think he is canonically 16. But yeah, she slaps him awake and covers his mouth to tell him to like shut the fuck up. She's too nice to like him or kill him and trying to just help him and not make sure he doesn't die. But he grossly licks his her hand to try to get his mouth free and everything. Which, <laughs> Golden Guard not being COVID conscious here at the moment. But yeah, they hear the dragon in the distance because of the noise they're making and they run and hide from it as it eats the Golden Guard's cape that he left behind. And they uh, eventually sneak off and arrive at a different city named Latissa that we've never ever seen before. And Luce just like talks to her. More herself, but also I think only Garbage not responding anything about how Kikimura must hate him this badly that really wanted his ass dead. <laughs> yeah, he just keeps walking in silence and glares at Luz while she kind of pokes at him a little bit of like, hey, you should at least be grateful for me saving your life, asshole. But they arrive at a building that straight up just called, it's called police precincts. I don't, <laughs> this is like the first time that we've had like the, in can canon, the Emperor's Coven guards referred to as police, I guess. Although actually, I'm wondering, I think... 
I'm trying to remember if the building that like Lilith talked to Ida or uh, Lucy and Ida's body back in Once Upon a Swap might have been referred to as a precinct. Because it basically uh, was, exactly. It had a jail cell and everything. And, like, it yeah, inter- I don't it, uh... remember it having a label, though. Yeah, I don't recall that. I think it was just, like, an Emperor's Coven, like, branded building or something. But it basically straight up was a police precinct because it even has, like, an interrogation room and all. Yeah, exactly. Like, photos of the people, like, being processed in. But yeah, uh, the Golden Guard tries to get the guards to direct him to their leader so he can get a message to the castle. But they dismiss him as a child and think that his Emperor's Coven mark is a temporary tattoo and ask for his identification. Which I guess all witches can prove their ID based on their staff because the ex for his staff back from loose. But she just fully refuses to give it to him because can't trust this fucker. <laughs> and mm-hmm. he chases he chases after her throughout the city trying to get it. And that eventually culminates in Luce realizing he's a powerless witch of his staff since he can't reach her up on the rooftop. But he eventually parkours his way up and Luce blasts him with the staff to try to get him to back off. But he sees through her light entirely because it's like, well, she's already made it. She's too nice to let to just let this guy die or, in this case, fully murder him. And obviously she also can't leave, just fly away to leave the palace to their feet because they see the hand dragon and Kikimura arrive outside the precinct too. And so the two of them decide to make a temporary truce to stop her since they both don't want her to win. Since Golden Guard obviously wants to hand them over to Velos and be the winner here. And Luce obviously wants the Palisman to not die. Yeah. I mean, yeah. reasonable goals. Yeah. So, as part of their plan, the Golden Guard sneaks a bag of sleeping nettles from the precinct supplies, which are just kind of outside the building. I guess maybe they're using them as part of, like, moving supplies between Lizessa and Bonesboro, I guess. Not sure. But yeah. He does that while Luce is drawing a big, like, fire and ice cliff combo on a wall on the rooftop. And she explains that they can't just blast Kikimura in mid-flight because it might hurt the Palisman, so she made a spell to create a thick mist, which, when combined with the needle, with the uh, nettles, will make a sleeping gas to cause the dragon to land safely. I'm not sure about this plan, because for all you know, the dragon might fall asleep, essentially, at the wheel and just crash anyway, but sure. <laughs> it's I guess it's a safer option than just blasting her, <laughs> but sure, whatever. Uh, the Golden Guard talks about having seen a similar spell in a book called From Bones to the Earth, A Study of Wild Magic. And he's pretty stoked about the glyphs since they are similar to elemental magic from the Savage Ages. But he stops himself and says, no, this is dangerous. It's restricted for a reason. You shouldn't get involved with this. Yeah. Yep. And at that point, Luce is like, well, I've never talked to anybody outside in the Emperor's Coven besides Lilith. What what made you want to join the first mit in the first place? And he actually does admit that he and his family are powerless, but that he was taken in by Bellows, given their official staff, and told that the Titan has big plans for him. Which... Definitely all in the up and up, based on everything we know about Bellos and all. <laughs> yeah. And they honestly kind of bond a little bit, because Luce is jealous that he has his future figured out, but he's also envious of the fact that she gets to be able to choose her own, at least. And at that point, uh, Little Rascal descends on him, and like is just kind of trying to hang out with him while he's scared about it, because it's a uh, wild magic god, a monster, therefore it's dangerous. And Luce is like, it's just a bird, fucker, shut up. <laughs> yeah, I'm and... actually really interested by how fascinated he is by the history and, like, stylings of wild magic, but he just doesn't want to be anywhere near it. It's yeah, very odd to me. Yeah, it's like, I mean, it's definitely just reads to me like he wants to figure out a way to help Bellos without having to keep breaking more Palisman, I guess. Because he's like, well, there's a, well, I guess he's also like, there's a way we can make more via wild magic, but I don't know how much that would work. Because, like, I mean, Palisman seem like they are wild magic itself, but, like, I guess there's a way they can artificially make more based on using more wild magic. But who knows? Yeah, it's, he definitely yeah. is like, 
he's definitely way more open-minded about it because it's like it definitely does read like Billis has not fully told him the whole story which for good reason again as we <laughs> kind of get implications from from episode 12 <laughs> yeah no absolutely i mean like i get that there's a difference between knowing a lot and being near it but yeah. he just has a, a, a gut reaction that's so big when he sees a bird <laughs> yeah and he's like oh fuck a bird <laughs> yeah like don't get me wrong i know a lot about tigers i would not want to be standing next to a tiger <laughs> but that's a tiger not a bird <laughs> yeah yeah it's a little bit different i mean some birds are really dangerous like you know eagles and shit but i mean yes but cardinal <laughs> yeah yeah it's a it's a song bird basically <laughs> but yeah <laughs> They, they toss their masks on as Kikimura begins to take off, so hey, at least wild witches and magic cops can agree on being COVID conscious in this regard, even if it doesn't come to, like, putting shit in your mouth, apparently. <laughs> and uh, Luce puts her trust in the Golden Guard and gives his staff to him because they need to be able to fly after them anyway. It's like, Luce, again, just being good girl, Luce, and wanting to see the best in people. This definitely won't backfire on her in about two minutes. <laughs> uh, yeah. She activates the glyph combo, which begins to take effect immediately with the sleeping guest, and they fly after the dragon with Luce using a light glyph to try to guide it down to land, I guess. It's it's definitely, like, you know, it definitely follows them, so I feel like it is her trying to, like, lead it. Basically, like, like trying to lead a plane when it's, like, taking off, I guess, but the inverse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She checks on the palace bin and uh, to make sure they're safe, and the Golden Guard immediately trains his staff on her because, of course, she even, like, that stage is like, yep, I totally didn't think about this far ahead, just like earlier. She then tries to convince him not to do this, and she tells him, hey, I know what Bellis does to the palace bin. Do you really want that to happen to them? And, you know, says that, he, you know, well, I guess you're actually not my friend, you're just the Golden Guard. But he does hesitate and does drop his mask and says his name is Hunter. Which to I totally didn't uh, accidentally say Hunter at some point multiple episodes ago. <laughs> Definitely did not. <laughs> nope. Uh, that bit of hesitation gives Kikimura just enough opportunity to blast him in the forehead because like she's almost asleep, so she can't really see who she's fighting, but she has enough aim to still do that if she has a stationary target. Hello, cat. <laughs> oh, you heard Don't. her, did you? Yeah. Kitty Kitty likes uh, Hunter, I guess. She's a noisy girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So, Hunter fights Kikimura, basically just... I feel like he's partially giving Luce a chance to get away, but also he knows he has to fight Kikimura, or else he's just going to keep blasting at them. So, like, mm -hmm. I kind of read it as he's like, well, darn, she got away, oh well. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, Luce just fully gets aboard the dragon and escapes with it in the palisman, as, like, Hunter finishes off Kikimura, basically, and just, like, looks up at her flying away. Uh, Principal Bump and the Bat Queen reconvene the next morning and see that the Palace been all accounted for and the dragon's just hanging out there asleep on the bleachers of the Grunty <laughs> Field. Just, just chilling out. I guess Luce was like, well, I guess I'll just put it here and hope it doesn't attack the Palisman or somebody figures out what to do with it, I guess. But yeah, but Little Rascal tells the Bat Queen that he's finally found his partner and flies off to join them. And Luce returns home, I guess because she also took so long flying back to Bonesboro overnight that she, she's just getting back at that same time. <laughs> and, you know, Debbie tells the photo of her mom that she's bummed out because she didn't get a pass when everybody else did. But at that same point, a very disheveled-looking Ida and King climbed through her window with King being like, we could have used the fucking door, why'd we do this? And tossed a block of palace from within her, saying that they robbed the Bonesboro Garden Club. And... <laughs> Just Luce at this point also has no problem with this. She is just like, yeah, this tracks. <laughs> she, yeah, she she extra some time before she starts carving her since she wants to really like figure things out and at least wants to see mm -hmm. her mom. 
and thanked them for all they did. Yeah. And then we cut. Honestly, I think this is the best mom movie that has pulled so far. Oh yeah, like it's definitely one of the better ones I think, because like she's like, <laughs> yeah, like she technically was kind of spying on Luce over here, her like little bit of panicking, but at the same time, Luce was not keeping her voice down, so it was, like it was pretty obvious what was going on, especially yeah. since he had seen her before at the Palace on the Adoption Day. So it's like, yeah, Ida being good foster mom, Ida. <laughs> but yeah, but we go back to Dimper's castle where Bellos is berating Hunter about his failure. And when he asks how Wild Magic had hurt Bellos to find out how he could possibly help him, the Emperor fully threatens him by slicing off a bit of his hair to get him to shut up again about Wild Magic. And <laughs> Bellos just fully dismisses him to have him leave, and Kikiwara accidentally meets him inside the throne room, where the two basically just, like, poke fun at each other because of their respective failures, but Kikiwara definitely knows the injury on his forehead and figures out that he was the one that attacked her last night. And Hunter then returns to his room, where Little Rascal meets him, and while he's like a little, initially grabs him, like he's about to hand him over to Bellows, he reconsiders and lets him go, and then Little Bird turns into staff for him, becoming his partner with him looking very confused and contemplative. Ah, it's a big episode. <laughs> yeah, 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 it is. Mm-hmm. Well, you made good time, though. Less than 40 minutes. Well, I think, yeah, I, yeah, I guess it was like around like 108, yeah, until I started. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's what happens when I write so many notes. <laughs> Three yeah, pages more. Oh, boy. <laughs> Shut up. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's such a big episode. It's also kind of funny that it's like, oh, both episode eights are like three vignette stories that all convene into one in the end. <laughs> it's something I didn't think about for a while. It's like, oh, wait, yeah, the season eight, uh, episode eight back in season one was the same because it was yeah. the once swap episode. Yeah, we used to try to make sure to say what episodes we're doing next, and we kind of fell off about that. But I feel like it's very important, at least that this week we say next week, what we're doing is season two, episode seven, Ida's Wequiem, and season two, episode eight, knock, knock, knocking on Hootie's door. So next uh-huh. week is... <laughs> Pain and gay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> next, week, next week is a very big contrast between sad uh, queer adults and then very awkward gay teens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or queer teens, mm-hmm. I should say. Yep. <laughs> and also all the things about like hot heat Ida and being a harpy monster and then King's progression as learning more about himself. <laughs> <laughs> But at the same time, kind of the same deal as uh, episode five, where it's like the gay kind of overlaps a lot, like, and overtakes a lot of other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, if you don't have anything else, I can get into the trivia for these two. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> so, uh, we will start with voice actors. I kind of touched on Mal- uh, and Since I already touched on Malfus a little bit, I'll just bring up other roles he has played, because he has a fucking done. Uh, just ones that I point out, he plays a lot of characters in various, like, Marvel series, like, a lot of the cartoons. He is, was the voice of Rocksteady in the 2013 to 2017 Ninja Turtles cartoon. He is the voice of the Hulk, Ultron, Black Bolt, and a lot of others in the 2013 to 2019 Avengers Assemble cartoon. He is also the voice of Soggy Joe in Amphibia, which I did not know until I looked him up. (laughs) He is also the current voice of Yosemite Sam, Gossamer, Sam Sheepdog, and Taz, the Tasmanian Devil in Looney Tunes. He is Benzo in Arcane League of Legends, Baird in the Gears of War games, Saren in Mass Effect 1, 
Mario Alzatore in, Assass in Assassin's Creed 2 and Brotherhood. Zer in Destiny 1 and 2. Like I said, it's sold to 76 in Overwatch, but also fuck Overwatch. Mm -hmm. And Don Cornerio in Final Fantasy 7 Remake. And also a little <laughs> note here I have is that Malthus is based on a Gothic? 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 I forget. We had this word before at one point. But yeah, he's based on a demon of the same name from the Lesser Key of Solomon. So it's oh, fun yes, to be okay. about Malthus in general, yeah. Yeah, Fred Tedesquire, Tedesquire, again, I don't know how to pronounce the last name, has a fucking lot of voice roles in a lot of different genres and series and stuff. Definitely, yes. he's one of the best. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty prolific. Uh, aside from him, we have Bria, who is voiced by Felicia Day, actually, who also played uh, Charlie Bradbury, aka Celeste Middleton, on Supernatural, Kinga Forrester in uh, MST3K, Veronica Santangleo? Veronica, the pa the fist, the uh, lady from the the Brotherhood of Steel in Fallout New Vegas, mm -hmm. and has occasionally appeared on Critical Role in like various like temporary like party members because I like, do a lot of like like for like an episode two they have like a guest person for like a guest character that shows up yeah. and then leaves. Uh, Agbar is voiced by Javier, aka Harry Gillen, G U I L L E N. I again I'm bad at last names. I don't know why I chose to do a lot of stuff about voice actors <laughs> when it's like, I definitely don't know how to pronounce half these people's names that come up. But yeah, he voices Pero in the new Puss in Boots movie, The Last Wish, which actually kind of looks cool. I gotta admit, I saw a trailer for it and it's like, oh, this actually looks interesting. <laughs> and he's also uh, Guillermo in What We Do in the Shadows. So yeah, that's pretty that tracks. Neat. Yeah. And Gavin is voiced by Nick Dondani, who played uh, Jared Calavani and Dear Evan Hansen and not much else. He doesn't have many hats, but I know this the dear Evan Hansen, and I know people don't like that, but it's like, oh, well, that's a, that's a thing I recognize, so I guess I'll cover Gavin, because he also kind of shows up in episode 7, but he doesn't have voice lines. He's just there for the race. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, since we skipped over them back in the first day, since we assumed them to be non-characters, uh, Viney, who's going to be in any sport in the storm, is voiced by Ali Maki Matsumura, who I think goes by just Ali Maki a lot of the time. And she played Giggles McDimples in Toy Story 4, who I think is, like, the quasi-antagonist in that movie, who's, like, actually not really much of an antagonist. Yes, I believe uh, that's correct. Yeah. Uh, Dawn in 10 Things I Hate About You, Haruka in The Hit Monkey, and Mina Hess in Marvel's Coke and Dagger. So it's like, oh, she actually is pretty prolific, too, in a lot of, like, other Disney and Marvel stuff. <laughs> uh, Yeah. I don't know why I put in my notes why we skipped over them considering it's actually her. I didn't actually bring up Jerbo nor Barkus because Barkus is just a dog. He doesn't have an English voice actor. Jerbo <laughs> yeah. I did not put down because if Jerbo shows up again at some point, we will cover Jerbo then, but I don't think Jerbo will show up. Keep my word to that. <laughs> I, mean, I don't think Jerbo's. Do you know what that means, right? <laughs> yes, I do, though. Obviously, Jerbo's going to show up in a big capacity like Viney is in episode three and fucking Tibbles whenever he shows up, but whatever. <laughs> we'll cover it if he shows up. When, slash when he shows up. Uh, yeah, the illusionist caretaker, aka the Keeper, is voiced by Christopher Swindle, who played Hawkmon in Digimon Adventure Last Evolution Kizuna. Uh, <laughs> he is also the voice of Eriki Kaminariman in Baruto, and Alfred in Bloodstained Ritual of the Night. Just a little fun bit about him. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, that's what I have for voice actors, but there's other stuff of... Yeah, during the bit where Luce is looking at the newspaper clippings and the crystal ball, it shows that the Azura books had washed up on shore one day, presumably via Titan's blood. 
people point this out of like, how would they have washed up on shore considering that the sea is boiling? But don't worry about it, I guess. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Ignore that part, I guess. <laughs> Maybe the cardboard was sturdy enough. But yeah, uh, we already covered a bit about the illusions on the graveyard being crew members, so skip that. Uh, there. This is actually not so much trivia, but a theory people have, because people think that Gavin's dad is Darius, the uh, head of the Abomination Coven, since they are both Abomination witches that have kind of the same skin tone, and Darius definitely reads as kind of the sort of guy who would not pay attention to a kid much, which would make sense why Gavin is, uh, or, yeah, why Gavin is obsessed with like trying to get his dad's attention. I mean, I see that angle. But mm -hmm. Darius does not look like Gavin with a mustache. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I feel like Gus does not know who Gavin's dad is, so he just came up with, I don't know, we'll just make him a mustache because he seems like an idiot. Maybe he'll get tricked. No, you're absolutely right. That's what happened. But yeah. Gavin, if he's Darius's kid, then Gavin shouldn't have recognized him as his dad, you know? Maybe he, maybe he's like, maybe he lives with his mom and his dad is like divorced and he hasn't seen him in a while. That's why he wants his attention or something. I don't know. Nah, Who to say? I guess that's it's, it's a fan theory. Most likely we never actually get confirmation one way or another. Whatever. <laughs> it's just something I thought was worth mentioning. Uh, other bits of trivia. The paper dragon from the library is a reference to Molly Knox Ostertag's D&D campaign because there was definitely like a like charity livestream I remember where she mentioned that she had created a creature like that to safeguard a library in her D&D game. Hmm. Yeah, just fun little details. Also my my friend who is trans is mentioning that they can go to IKEA tomorrow to get the shark plushie. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to yeah, they're like I can do this and I'm like <laughs> sorry, You're don't right get the shark. Passage, truly. Yep. I don't have the shark though. I do not have the trans shark. <laughs> I need to get the trans shark. <laughs> but yeah, very good uh question. Yeah, again, not trivia per se, but just something that has been brought up. The first journal entry that Philip Witherbane has in his diary is dated May 21st. And we are getting the second to last episode of season two on a May 21st. So I don't think that's necessarily planned, but who can say? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that's the, uh, I think that's the one with Cloud in its name. Hang on, let me just see. Uh, it is Clouds on the Horizon. So who can say? <laughs> I mean, considering that the finale is King's Tide, and people have a lot of theories about that in relation to the Day of Unity stuff that we learned in episode 11, it's like, hmm, this definitely seems important. <laughs> so who can say if if it's actually setting up that, or if maybe it's going to actually do something else that might be related to the diary? Who could say? <laughs> also, a little bits I have here that are like, I kind of more like things I forgot in the notes. How does King still have the teddy bear plushie from uh, Adventures in the Elements? Because Hootie destroyed it when it led a revolution against him. <laughs> it's the one that he has, like, uh, when he's talking to Luce, and he's like, what if you just squeeze the information out of the Echo Mouth and he popped its head off? And it's like, that teddy bear got destroyed. <laughs> I guess maybe he has another one that he just now destroyed again. <laughs> but yeah, uh, a little bit. Uh, Hunter whistles the show's opening while he's on the ship, like, at the helm when Luce climbs aboard at first. It's It's required. Yeah, the it, dork has like, to do that at some point. Yeah, somebody in some series has to like make like whistle the theme song. And then uh, one of the palace men in the group of them is a goose with a bell in its beak, which is likely a reference to Untitled Goose Game because you end that game by stealing a bell and running back through all the levels to put it in a collection of other bells. <laughs> so you can say if maybe they're just putting in a reference to Goose Game. They do references like that a lot of time. Uh, much like the other thing I have here, that Hunter has a plushie of Sprig from Amphibia and a statue of Remy Remington from Big City Greens in his room, and Zena Robinson voices Remy in that series too. So, 
it's it's definitely a, like in the Spriggs case, it's like it's definitely a lot of the like little cross pollination of references <laughs> that they have between Amphibia and Owl House, making references to each other. But yeah, the other one obviously just because it's Xeno Rabbits and voices Rummy, so they put that there too. <laughs> and also a little bit of like really deep uh, reference here: loose flapping Hunter awake is a wink and nod towards the pilot because there's a section where he she sleeps a sleeping person named Sir William awake. So they like some of his design is like akin to Hunter, but like they definitely rework things. So it definitely like seems like they're like, oh, that character became Hunter. So we'll keep this little thing that she did where she woke up Sir William by slapping him in here. So yeah, just a little fun detail from the pilot that never really got aired much. And that's everything I have for trivia. Nice. I remember back in like the end of season one where I was like, oh, the trivia is definitely going to take a nosedive because like we've had basically <laughs> all the main characters. And then it's like, oh, right. I forgot all the side characters that are only in for like one of the episodes that might show up at some point again. Again, who could say? Because fucking Viney and Tipples are proving me wrong, so... Yeah, they might bring back every side character at some point. If it's just, yeah. like, one episode <laughs> or a scene at this point. They will all come back and have detailed episodes somehow. <laughs> yep, pretty much. I yeah, can't wait uh, for the ballad of Eyeball Eating Guy. <laughs> yeah, that's all I have for that, so we can get into the questions then. Of which, uh, of, well, I guess I'll do this one first because I actually forgot about it from, uh, when was this one sent to us? On March 19th, and I was, like, responding to them being there, or being like, ah, shit, I forgot, I will get to this today, sorry. But yeah. Uh, so it's, uh, Abby who emailed us before, back in, like, again, like, a week beforehand. Uh, at first, this, like, sent us a kind of a goof question of, got any cool brownie references? And unfortunately, I don't really bake much. I cook, but I don't really bake. <laughs> like, I also get, like, those, like, tubes of, like, the, the cookie batter or whatever that you just, like, pop open and then just toss in. But I never yeah. made brownies. <laughs> Sam, um, my roommate Sam made brownies with, like, her friend and her friend's daughter, like, that last weekend. So, I don't know. Maybe I can ask Sam and get back to you. But I definitely don't know because I never I tried making brownies. Uh, my best advice for making brownies is that when you start... Well, okay, if you're doing them from scratch, only make half as much as you think you're going to need, right? And then yeah. also make half of that cookie batter and layer them on top of each other. That's my best advice oh. for making brownies. Hmm. <laughs> and I can't say I've ever had, like, brownie cookies. <laughs> hmm. They're excellent. Cannot advise them strongly enough. Cool. I guess yeah, you could uh... do it out of the box. You just have to buy two boxes. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Yeah, I, I don't remember how my mom used to make brownies, if she made them from scratch or if she made them from the like the box stuff. Don't remember. It's been ages. Uh, but yeah, uh, Abby actually like repeated a question we had way early of like, what kind would you pick? And I unfortunately told her, hey, we did that one already. So she came up with a different one. Uh, just a general question of what other shows would you recommend? Stuff like The Owl House or not, I guess. <laughs> and like, I mean, the closest I can just immediately think of is Steven Universe because it's also very queer. <laughs> And Fair. definitely also makes me cry at times, just like the Owl House. <laughs> um, She-Ra might be a good pick also. Um, yeah, it's kind of like in that same style. Thematic elements, yeah, that sort yeah. of. I don't know how Abby... to put it exactly. Adora yeah, Abby... has a female love interest, and it is very explicit throughout the series. Um, we don't get as much with that as we do with Loose and Amity. Yeah, because like, um, unfortunately it's like... It only becomes canon, like, the very last episode, right? Uh, it's 
kind of there for the whole last season, but it's a lot of the level that these episodes were at, that sort of blushing. Gotcha. Yeah. N- nothing as direct as, like, Jikas in the end. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because, like, again, like, it, Zero is one that I kind of want to go back to watch, because, like I said, I've only watched season one, because there's five seasons, right? Yes. Um, yeah. I like Shira a lot. It's, in my opinion, it is a very good cartoon. It starts off just so slowly. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's partially why I kind of stopped at season one, but also, like, season two wasn't out yet at the time. Like, I watched it, like, as soon as it got on Netflix, season mm-hmm. one. And it was kind of a case of, like, yeah, I get that they need to, like, establish a lot of characters, but it, it kind of feels like it goes a bit slow at times. But then again, like, yeah. Steven Universe also has that a lot, where, like, Steven Universe, like, for the first, like, season, basically, is, like, kind of slow until, like, until they really get to the Lapis stuff, which is also, like, really fucking crazy when you remember that, like, that show was supposed to only be up until the Lapis, two, the, the two episodes where she's introduced, and then the show was supposed to end, it was supposed to be just that. And it's like, fuck, that would have been insane if that's the entirety of Steven Universe, where it like, only barely taps into other gems with having Lapis introduced, and then she flies off and the show ends there. <laughs> like, God, that would have been so much different, because like, so much of that point up until then is kind of just like jokes of the week kind of episodes. Except for, of course, like the fact that episodes 5 and 6 deal with a lot of body horror stuff with bringing Freibo to life and then cat fingers. <laughs> God, yeah, I can't... That's fucking insane that that's episodes five and six. <laughs> oh boy, the universe is a great show and also insane at times. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I mean, if if I were to just make one other recommendation that's not like as queer but it's still really good, uh, Ducktales twenty seventeen is fucking great. I love that show. It got dealt dirty just like Owl House, and also I guess like Amphibia. Amphibia is like again like way more like lesson of the week kind of show kind of deal but like it definitely like when it goes hard it goes hard <laughs> like, God, like, yeah. the, like the, the season one finale of amphibia near the end there that still gets me the tear up at times too because it's like it's it's a very interesting use of the song they use at the end there but it's like oh that kind of gets me <laughs> <laughs> yeah i honestly haven't like really rewatched amphibia i i, I tried to back in like uh, a few months like during the hiatus in an owl house but it's like I kind of didn't get very far back in season one because like oh yeah I gotta go through like a lot of the like I don't want to say filler episodes because it's like a lot of it is character establishment and works mm-hmm. off to where we are in the show Yeah, but it's like it, it kind of at times it's like really goofy and obviously it's like meant for like a slightly younger audience than even owl house is but yeah, like it, there's definitely it, a lot of like it, it falls into the same trope that's early owl house does with the king learns a lesson episodes you know yeah pretty much it's like oh and learns a lesson totally won't forget by the end of this episode and then have to relearn it in two episodes of time and again but yeah it's kind of it kind of does that a lot in season one and like more so season one because like season two like definitely is starting to like really like get into like the lore of the world kind of deal even though at times during like the road trip it gets a bit goofy but yeah, season, season three is way less of that, but also it's like, they, I feel like they got, I don't think they got a shorter series lifespan. I think they knew they were going to get three seasons, but it's like, there's times where like season three gets a little goofy, but it's definitely way more like focused than the other two even. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Thank you, Abby, for those questions. Uh, you have access to the Twitter, so I think I'm going to let you take those because I am tired yeah. of talking at the moment. <laughs> That's very fair. I'm uh, glad so... I have a cup of XP. <laughs> <laughs> We do have a couple questions on our Twitter. Um, for future reference, if you'd like to send us questions, uh, that's going to be at us Wheelers Cast on Twitter. 
and usweirdoscast at gmail.com if you'd prefer to use our email. Uh, what we have this week, let's start with our older questions. Um, from future Erica, at silent underscore Magnus, is there any chance that the Bat Queen could be the Titan's Palazin? I honestly forget if we kind of touched on this back in Escape of the Palisman, because, like, I think we yeah. were talking about... Because, like, he mentioned that she was the Palisman of a giant, and, like, mm -hmm. based on her size and the size of the Titan, I feel like she's kind of too small to be a Palisman of the Titan. Yeah, like, I do recall talking about that. Um, I think I was more on the side of it being plausible, just because Palismans are kind of weirdly sized all around but yeah that's true yeah like and, and like as we also see with like people like uh Gwen Clawthorne her staff is like not just like a stick it's kind of curved in the top like uh oh what are those those like shepherd bowls that shepherds have for like herding sheep they kind of have that curved yeah those cur those curved they kind of have that curved them too like hers is more like that so like it doesn't even seem like there's like a staff is like this is what staffs themselves look like so <laughs> I guess so but like I definitely think I remember hearing people theorize that because, like, nobody is sure, like, how large king species would get when fully grown, that maybe she yeah. was the palisman of his dad, wherever his oh, dad might be, if he's interesting. dead. Interesting. Yeah, because, like, she, like, there's also, like, a, a fan thing I see a lot in, like, artwork of King, of, like, what he might look like older. People kind of latch onto the idea that he grows wings as he gets older. So, like, I, I um... don't know. <laughs> I don't know why that. I don't remember any of those murals having wings. No, nor the uh, the person that people think is a dad, but I feel like it's more of a messenger. Yeah, we see in episode seven and eight as mm -hmm. well. So like, who, who can say? I don't know. Time will tell, I guess. Because like, I also part of me feels like maybe they didn't have enough time for the back queen stuff. Because like, they kind of do leave it in episode ten of season one that like this might be touched upon, but that was also before they got the much shorter showrun so i wonder if maybe yeah. that unfortunately had to be cut for time that would make sense or, or or maybe they'll just like rather than being a mystery maybe it's just something they'll see through like the diary or just like be a little like throwaway line of like oh yeah this is also her deal okay bye <laughs> i mean honestly that's an interesting enough point of discussion that might have been what the light novel was uh, well, the light novel was, uh, as they said, was supposed to be like a, basically a light novel adaptation of uh, *The Good Witch of Zura*, like oh, not really? actually okay. like I yeah, don't like think not I actually. It, it was something that I think like came about from the company that was supposed to be creating it, like not the publisher that was apparently really shitty and trying to pay the writers next to nothing to create it. Because like <laughs> after like that news uh, was put out of like what's going on with like why it was canceled, Dana basically was like, "Well, I'm coming back from my Twitter hiatus at the moment to be like, no, it's because the publisher were shitty and didn't want to pay them enough. It's not actually <laughs> just disagreements in general or some vagary or whatever. It's actually fully because the publisher was trying to fuck them over." I really, yeah. really appreciate Dana going all out and just burning yeah, all I, the Disney credits. Yeah, but I'm it's also like kind I, I'm I, regretting that that means we're not going to get another series. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I desperately want Dana to go to, like, a different network that actually will listen to her and appreciate her. Like, Dana getting, like, a partnership with, as much as I don't like Netflix because of them still defending a bunch of transphobic shit and mm -hmm. firing trans staff, I feel like Netflix is kind of one of her better options. Maybe maybe doing kind of what uh, Adventure Time did with, like, HBO might be yeah. ideal. Yeah, I, I, I would just want her to, like, be able to have the freedom to really do what she wants without having to deal with a bunch of shit like with a company like disney because yeah, like I, I, I feel i feel to cartoons mm -hmm. uh, just 
the Infinity Train debacle is oh, one thing. Oh, true, itself, yeah. But, you know, I think it's probably the better option of the currently available streaming services, yeah. unless you're going to go super niche. Yeah, that's that's kind of the problem, because it's like, she has to find like one that's big enough that won't try to fully screw her over, considering how much she really had to fight back against Disney to actually get what she was able to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Who can say? Uh, Erica also asks, uh, what are your preferred gender-neutral or non-binary terms for a significant other? Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, I mean, as somebody who has still really not been on a date since coming out, like, I feel like if I did need to come up with it, I would, like, one, if I, I would just, like, I refer to them as my partner and have them do the same. Because, like, mm -hmm. honestly, it's, like, something I don't really think about that much, because, again, it's not really come up. It's, like, the kind of thing where, like, Oh, what would I have done with nieces and nephews? But, like, I mean, life has kind of just answered that question for me, which is nothing, because my family sucks and not really going to deal much with my sister or brother anymore. So at the time when I was, like, thinking that maybe there might have been hope for, especially my brother in particular, it's like, well, they could have my niece referred to me as, like, non-equal or non-equal, like N-O-N-A mm -hmm. or N-O-N-N-I-E, you know, basically just taking, like, the non-part of non-binary or whatever. Or even just, yeah. like, straight up just saying NBQL, because it's like, nobody's really going to know what you mean by NBQL, so it's like, whatever, it's all made up terms anyway, it's not, like, <laughs> anything would basically be better than just saying uncle, so it's like, yeah. I don't know, or just straight up, if it's too much for her, just have her call me Quill, because, like, I mean, I definitely know that, like, there's times where I refer to my, like, my uncle as just my uncle's name and not uncle whatever, in one in particular, because, mm -hmm. like, I don't really deal with any of other aunts and uncles at all, because they kind of all suck besides the one. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I've got an aunt and uncle in San Antonio, and the words we use for them are tonta, which is German for aunt, and tío, which is Spanish for uncle. So mm. I think if we can get through the multiculturalism, we're okay with some strange words. <laughs> yeah, fair. But I mean, those those are just different language uses for the terms. It's like that's that's the saying aunt and uncle in different languages. That's not like having to come up with an entirely new term for somebody. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I'm just trying to get across the fact that kids are adaptable. Yeah. It's not that weird. I mean, hey, yeah, case in point, like, uh, that little girl that I mentioned that is, like, uh, the daughter of my roommate Sam's friend, like, she was taught early on to use they them pronouns for me and refer to me as Miracle, like, to straight up use, like, honorifics because she does that for everybody, and, like, she has been flawless <laughs> about it, and she's, like, six. And it's, like, just pointing out, like, again, my niece is six, and they don't drive with her, and they keep trying to claim that she's too young, and it's, like, well, look, I've got evidence here of a six-year-old who's not at all related to me by blood and just happens to be the daughter of a friend of my roommate. So it's, like, she's, she's got a living proof. Why? What's going on with you? Other than just being yeah. transphobic. So, yeah. But, um, to the question, um... I am currently in a relationship with another non-binary person, and generally when I'm talking to other people, I will refer to them as my partner, just because it's easier. Yeah. Um, it's a general good catch-all, even if you're referring to like somebody who does use like he, him, or she, her pronouns. Just be like, yeah, no, they're my partner. Exactly, yeah. Or my... Just, just like, normalize it a Yeah, or just saying, like, they're my SO. Like, think of another. Boom, done kind of deal the thing is and i don't want to talk about their business too much mm -hmm. since they're not here to tell me not to yeah but our situation is a, a polyamorous relationship uh they are married so that doesn't fly super well within the relationship because they have a wife mm -hmm. <laughs> 
Um, when we're talking to each other, we had to discuss pretty early on the terms we wanted to use. It's just part of a relationship like that. Yeah. And what we settled on is that um, I am to call them my lover, which they like. Uh, it's a little risque. <laughs> they find yeah, it fun. It's, it's cute, though. <laughs> it is. And uh, they call me, um, and I'm sorry for this, but I'm about to reveal that I'm the dorkiest person possible. Uh, they call me their imzadi, which is a Star Trek word <laughs> for gender-neutral partner. Hey, if it works, it works. <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah. I don't know. There's a lot of options out there, but I think you just got to find the one you're most comfortable with. Yeah, it's, it's much like honorifics in cases like us. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so that's everything from Erica. Thank you, Erica. And from Casey Cosmos, at Casey Cosmos on Twitter, you can perform magic by reciting a real song. What would you have yours be? Mm. Uh, boy. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so follow uh, question for you based on the question. Do I have to uh, straight up sing it or do I just have to play it? <laughs> Like, can I just play, like, a YouTube of it, or do I have to, I have to like, sing the song? It says reciting a song, so I don't think playing it would work, but I don't think you have to necessarily sing it either. You oh, okay. just, like, say the lyrics. Okay. Uh, hmm. This is also just me, like, fully, like, showing myself to be a total dork, but I'm still really partial to The Edge of Dawn for Fire Island Three Houses, like, a.k.a. Edelgard's theme. <laughs> Because, like, it only plays in the credits when you choose any route that's not hers. Because it plays, like, yeah. a more, like, piano, like, soft version of it that when you play, like, uh, the Crimson Flower route. So it's, like, it's clearly Edelgard's perspective because it only plays the full song <laughs> and any route where... Have you played Three Houses? I have not. Okay. D do you mind if I spoil potential endings of Three Houses from a game from three uh, years ago? That's fine with me. Okay, spoilers. Uh, three Houses for everybody else. In all the rats we don't pick Edelgard's side, she dies. So it's like, yeah, fully, like, from her perspective of, like, here's how things could have been different if I might have been more open about it <laughs> and what I was planning <laughs> to do. Because, oh boy, yeah. like, really a lot of ways. It's like, that whole conflict is about her and the church, basically. <laughs> And it's, it's a huge bummer when it comes down to it, where it's like, I mean, like, I only really finished, like, the Golden Deer route, but, like, when you have to kill her, she's, like, actually being, like, I wish it could have been different, and it's like, me, me too, girl, I really hate this, but unfortunately the game told me that you were a bad person at the fight, but also I'm fighting for the side that's trying to abolish racism and destroy, like, the literal walls protecting the country from other people kind of getting inside, so I feel like this is also still a bit of a noble goal. Unfortunately, I'm not helping out the person that's saying, fuck the church, and also fuck the class system. <laughs> really, like, the worst pit, pit, the first, the worst ones to pick are siding with the church or choosing Dimitri, because Dimitri basically just enforces, like, the shitty church stuff, and it's like, oh boy, obviously he doesn't yeah. know about how bad it is, but yeah, I feel like the definitely, like, better options are either Ilgar or Claude, unfortunately. <laughs> yep. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Um, I think... Like, I've been sitting here this whole time just racking my brain desperately trying to think of songs, and I can normally do that pretty well, but I am on the spot, and so all of the songs <laughs> I know I have forgotten the names of. Um, yeah, in my, in so... my defense, Edge of Dawn was, like, kind of the first one that popped into my head. <laughs> I mean, there, there's yeah, obviously think... also, like, a lot of Steam Universe songs that you think of, but also you unfortunately don't do that because you haven't actually watched Steam Universe in its entirety, right? I'm sorry? You, you said you haven't watched Steam Universe in its entirety, right? 
I have not watched it at all. No, well, I've seen like four or five episodes. Mm. <laughs> oh, so you haven't actually seen Primo or Cat Fingers? <laughs> I have no idea what you just said. No. Have we figured out the show we should tackle next? <laughs> it's good. It would be a very long one it. though. <laughs> There's so many episodes in the TV universe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about it. No worries. Yep. Um, I think the one I'm gonna go with is um, "Don't Cross My Path" by Dollskin because it's one that I know the lyrics to, and it's on the top of my head, and it's trans, so uh, there you fair, go. Fair. Yep. <laughs> trans metal, it's good. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, uh, Casey also asks, which is the better candy color, green or purple? I think I lean purple, even though I don't really like grape or, like, apple flavor candy, but, like, I'm also thinking more along the, like, the purple colorations of, like, cough drops i guess in this taste Mm -hmm. because it's like again i don't really like the taste of like apple or like uh plum or like whatever flavors like that weird in my experience purple is always the best flavor yeah it's like skittles and they're all the same secretly (laughs) yeah like i kind of more drift towards like red flavors in general in terms of like a lot of candies except like starburst i'm like definitely the pink person like i I, like red like in the basic fact of starburst like red is actually like number four to me i like orange and uh yellow more than that i definitely like pink is absolutely the best one oh it's pink pink is the best you get the Mm. you get the bag of skittles around like breast cancer awareness month where it's all pink and it's like ah awesome yes I mean, that's Skittles. Starburst. The orange Starburst is the best one, hands down. Mm, nah, I disagree. <laughs> Are we going to have a civil war about this? <laughs> no. I, I, meanwhile, I was like putting out the question, uh, tweet being like, trying to subtly say, somebody ask us about the hair color, purple or green, and nobody did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, They're both good. Uh, third thing. question from Casey. Uh, what bird would you like to hang out with? God, what is a chillest kind of bird? <laughs> I don't even have to think about this. A barn owl, 100%. I love their weird little faces. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, a lot of, like, owls, especially when they're tiny, are just, like, really cute and goofy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I still kind of lean towards, like, a green cheek conure because I kind of want to get one of those one day myself because they seem like they're just fun birds to hang around with being pets because, like, they're basically just a parrot, but in the body of, like, a tiny bird compared to a regular-sized parrot. They still live for 30 years, so they are a commitment. But it's, like, I've, I've seen enough of how they, like, act around in some of the older, like, Jane Animations videos of her talking about, like, Ari and everything. And it's, like, this seems like just a fun animal to hang around with. Especially because, like, it, it, gets, it gets a fun... It, like, it has a fun time just hanging out on your shoulder while you're, like, just, like, going about your day, like, cooking dinner or whatever or doing dishes. It's just happy to be there and be a part of things. Even if you're not fully paying attention to it, they seem just like fun little birds, but also kind of noisy at times. But really, more just like when they're going to bed or going or when they're waking up, because they're basically just saying good morning, good night, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. I know how birds. Well, I don't know how all birds work, but I know how birds work in general. <laughs> yeah, birds. Birds in general yeah. make a lot of noise at times. Okay, and one more question from Casey. Uh, clearly, Hunter getting the bird is the start of his Pokemon quest. What Pokemon would each character have? This one, I actually directly responded on the Twitter, being like, it's a good question, because I've definitely seen a lot of fan art of people doing this a lot. 
So, like, the the general agreed-upon uh, thing here, which I also agree with, is that Amity always has, like, a Grimer or a Muck, and also a Liden. Yeah. Because, yes, she would have the Goop Monster Pokemon and also a cat. That tracks. Yep. Uh, a lot of the time, like, it's kind of interchangeable whether Luce or Ida has it, but, like, usually either Luce has Rowlet or Ida has Decidueye, or... Like, inversely, like, one of them has Hoot Hoot and the other has Noctowl. Usually it's always, like, Ida has the older one because she's this old. So yeah, it's like, I think I like Decidueye better for Ida because it is kind of a crime owl. Yeah, a little bit. It is, like, a sneaky owl. So it's, like, yeah, like, a lot of times like that, like, like Luce has, like, Rowlet, but also has, like, either a Noctowl or a Hoot Hoot kind of deal. Uh, I've also seen a lot of people, like, have, like... As like a little bit of a parallel, either Amity has Espeon or Amity has Umbreon while Luz has Espeon, because it's like kind of like their parallel of like the like light or sun motif of Luz and like the <laughs> like moon motif of Amity. So it's like, oh yeah, it makes sense that like Am Amity would have the one that evolves at night and Luz would have the one that evolves at day kind of deal. Yeah. Uh, Gus, I've seen a little bit less of it, but people usually agree that Gus would definitely have Kecleon and maybe even like Sobble, just because like the like chameleon kind of like camouflage animals kind of deal uh willows is easy because like hmm? i would have thought zora works since its whole thing is illusions yeah but like i mean kecleon changes its type and everything and like uh Sobble evolves into a fucking james bond spy like kind of like chameleon that like blends in with its surroundings a bit kind of deal yeah, i mean i guess but like Type Null also changes its type. That's True. Not... But Type Null is also a weird genetic experiment that doesn't have a lot of prevalence compared to, like, starter Pokemon <laughs> in the wild. That's fair. Yeah. And, like, Willow, people usually agree, has, like, stuff like Carnivine, like, Leapin' Bell. I think, like, uh, one that people kind of get into a little bit ever since Hunting Palestine that she ever has, like, Cumbi or Vespaquen because of uh, Clover and all. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, obviously King doesn't really have any. I think I sometimes, like, people like to reinvent King as a Cubone that Ida has. So it's, it's really <laughs> just him with his, like, uh, having his normal... It's just King, but holding a bone as well. It's like, oh, he likes King's Cubone, obviously. I mean... Honestly, I disagree. I think King has an entire team of just the cutest Pokemon. He's got, like, a Baneri and a Mana <laughs> and... Or, <all> <laughs> everything that could be a stuffed animal. Or, conversely, his entire team are just the biggest fucking Pokemon he can get. Like, he's got, like, a Charizard and, like, a Snorlax and everything. That's, like, the the biggest Pokemon that he can feel, feasibly get, but it's definitely a case of, like, it's much like Ash's Charizard where it never listens to him. He just has it because it's a big, imposing one, even though he can't control it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Um, that's all our questions from Casey, so thank you very much, Casey. Uh, I think that's it for questions, unless there's anything else in the emails. No, so I, I double check to make sure there's something else there. Okay, then yeah. You yep. ready for the artist spotlight? <laughs> yep. All right. Uh, again, uh, a little bit different here compared to like all the usual fan artists I usually hawk, which are usually people that draw very cute stuff. I am going to do the spotlight on Swain Art. Uh, unfortunately, I cannot find pronouns for them on either their Instagram or their Twitter. So, unfortunately, I will just default to them to be safe. Uh, their handle is, yeah, uh, Swain, S-W-A-I-N, uh, Art F-S. Uh, I think it's the same on both Instagram and Twitter, but it's pretty easy to just, if you just look like Swain, especially like Swain, like Home Loose, which is their main AU they do, you'll find them easily. 
Uh, yeah, they are the creator of two fan comic series. One of them is called uh, Gronti, which is basically a crossover with Gravity Falls, where Ida basically pops in a lot because of the like fan theory that she was like the person that married Uncle Stan for like a day and then robbed <laughs> him and left. Uh, and in hmm? character. Yeah, and uh, the one that they like been focusing on a lot more, but actually is currently on hiatus until season two B finishes, is like I mentioned earlier, Home Loose, which is an AU based on the beta designs, where Loose is like way more wary and suspicious of people since she's basically been an orphan for I think like 11 years or something like that because like her mom died in a car accident I think where she's basically been tossed around the foster care system for ages and pretty much just followed either through the door when she saw her go in there because she had literally nowhere else in life to go because also there's <laughs> like the shitty like foster care system it's a yeah. very interesting version of the characters because like in a lot of like the fan art of like the beta stuff it's definitely like Luce and Amity have like a little bit more of a like oh, you freaking idiot, but also I like you kind of, like, uh, relationship compared to current Loose and Amity being just, like, the softest, squishiest, cute people possible. Because, like, both, basically, like, Loose is a uh, really depressed, like, sad kid who just is, like, really yeah. looking for a place to live. And, uh, again, content warning here, Amity's been hammered into shape by her parents in this to the point where she not only Bunny follows their orders and to the point where she really tries to attack Luce to hand her over the bellows, but it heavily implies that she does a lot of self-harm to herself, which is really fucking heavy. Considering, like, in this yeah, AU, in this, in this AU, they're, like, 17 or 18, where it's like, that's, that's a lot for a kid. But yeah. Oh, sorry, you're having a little bit of, like, mic down there in the background. Is that the cat or something? Uh, yes, she is sitting on my computer, causing all sorts of trouble. Ah. Nutty. Because it is dinner time. Ah, uh, gotcha. But yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, aside from that, uh, Swain also does like some solo comics. Like one that I saw, I definitely got posted in our like little like sub Discord of when Kikimura is telling her side of when she got kidnapped uh, by Amity and Luce and everything, and like what Tara was telling her, where she ends that mm -hmm. with like having giving the like her address and palm things to the Coven captain from Eclipse Lake and telling her to burn it to the ground. <laughs> where it's like, oh, well, this started out as like more having like a very like traumatic experience about all this, but then it does enter for being a little shit. And uh, <laughs> one that also in particular where like it's Lilith like not being able to sleep well at night and like really regretting like every mistake and life choice she's made throughout her life, especially in regards to like the Empress Coven and Eden and stuff. And at one point, like, Fiddy pops in because he sees that she's not sleeping well, and, like, she's just, like, confessing a lot to him and just crying, and it's like, oh, this feels real bad, but also, yeah, that's probably actually happened in canon because Lilith holds a lot of guilt about this stuff. Goodness, that is melancholy. Yeah. And uh, they also have an original comic they're developing at the moment, but they haven't really, like, talked about a lot about it. It's just that they're basically saying that they're doing, like, the fan comics and whatnot to practice and kind of spread their name about to build up for that. So, yeah, it's, uh... Again, not not as uh, flowery and cutesy as we're used to here, but like we kind of got that enough <laughs> from episode five, so it's like it was like a little bit of a like contrast between it, where it's like yeah, I wanted to like highlight a different kind of uh, fan artist who's like going the route of like AU stuff, like kind of like what I did back in the season one finale with uh, highlighting uh, that uh, fanfic person instead. Yeah. Yeah. It's worth a shot. Just nice. also, again, content warnings for it for a lot of uh, heavy shit. <laughs> Just so you know what's coming, what, what's coming your way if you go check it out. Fair enough. Um, as for the crimes count, I think there actually were a couple this week. 
because I'm pretty sure that commandeering an airship is a crime. Yeah, she, she does fully assault the uh, uh, hunter. I don't want to say the Golden Guard anymore. Yeah, so, I mean, assaulting a police officer also. Yeah. <laughs> like, and also the revisit from last week, like, it's really just, like, a little bit more, like, endangerment of, like, people in Bonesboro by kind of participating in, like, Ida turning into Owlita a little bit with Gwen's direction. Yeah. I feel like that's the blame is more on Gwen because she's tricking loose a bit. <laughs> in that regard, but, like, he doesn't really, like, do anything in particular that would, like, be crime-worthy in episode 3. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I guess he's also <laughs> technically trespassing in the Forbidden Stacks in episode 5, but also Amity's guilty of that, too, technically, even though she works there. That is true, yes. Yep. Do we have to start an Amity crimes count? Uh, I mean, she's basically at this point deciding to rebel against uh, the throne as well. A lot, a lot of the crimes that Luce does are now kind of inter, like interconnected with Amity, except the clips like that's full Amity. Yeah. Yeah. No, we might get there, but like I feel like that's like the biggest part for. Well, actually, no. Amity does commit crimes, and as well as episode eleven, because she also attacks like a, uh, a high-ranking official in the first coming in that one too. Never mind. <laughs> Amity Blight has decided to throw all caution into the wind for her girlfriend, even if it means potentially having to fight the Emperor himself. Apparently at this point. <laughs> That's what the power of being queer does to you. <laughs> you say fuck authority figures, as they deserve it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I think that just blinks us to the wrap-up. Yeah, blinks us to the wrap-up. Wow. Wow. Okay, I can't talk anymore. <laughs> we can go over third half hours, to be fair. <laughs> it is yeah, almost midnight. Um, yeah, so... Uh, can find me on Twitter at patch underscore jacket. Um, been doing less retweeting lately, thankfully. But you you did have know. a pretty we'll you did have a pretty good back and forth with May Dean of real life comics though. I saw that earlier. Got a laugh out of that. <laughs> that was okay. Yeah. Yeah. Even even her even she was like, oh god damn it, I didn't even notice about the name. Now you're making a joke based on that. <laughs> She's not as clued into the joke about uh, whether they need to go based on compared to the R Discord. Where you make jokes about it every day. <laughs> exactly. Yep. <laughs> and if for whatever reason you want to uh, follow me for me uh, still basically like talking about like Elder Ring and stuff or occasionally my roommate's cats, uh, you can follow me at Quill Shines On on Twitter. Also, technically on Instagram, but like I don't really post much on Instagram much. I mean, valid. Yeah. It's really more, I mostly just have an Instagram so I can chat with other people that don't have Twitter. Like old high school friends, basically. Yeah, I don't have an instagram because i read a while back that was like even more security compromised than facebook yeah, it wouldn't surprise so, me it like, is run by facebook still yeah so it would not surprise me yeah yeah again i really want to have it because regret i regret that but there are sometimes when like comics get posted and then i just can't see them because i don't yeah there's also that like i mean that's also how like a lot of like fan comics i see of like owl house stuff get posted to that and also amphibia before they put them on their mm -hmm. twitter like that's actually uh I mentioned her, like, way, way back in, like, episode two of the recording, I think, where I mentioned, brought up Jigushi, the uh, Korean artist. Like, yeah. she, she posts, like, on Instagram, like, hours before her Twitter one, so it's like, oh, I usually see her stuff there way before it gets there. It's also where Mooring Mark posts uh, their comics, because, like, they basically post them there, and then they get, re or, and their blog, and then they get, like, re-uploaded on uh, the subreddit, but not on Twitter or anything. <laughs> yep. But, yeah, um... 
Uh, the, all the fan well, artists. Thank you very much. All the fan artists have been yes. working overtime with these episodes. <laughs> it's it's like again. <laughs> I, I, I mean, you you saw the uh, the Degrassi fan art I posted from today, right? Yeah. Yeah, from uh, elsewhere and elsewhere, and it's like, dang, she she said that she really got motivated to work on that real real quick, and it's like you should probably still take a rest. <laughs> you do a lot of like really elaborate fan art a lot. You should probably relax a bit. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, yeah, like you mentioned, we're at over two and a half hours, so mm-hmm. I think we should probably call it on this one. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> but uh, thank you for being here and being flexible with your schedule. And Yeah, like I said, I, guess... I don't have anything planned on the weekends because the only people I know in the entire state are the two people that live with me. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty good reason. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, um... I think that means that all that's left to say is uh, remember, us weirdos have have to stick together. together. Bye. Bye. Welcome to Us Weirdos Have to Stick Together. I'm Nobody, and joining me is the most wanted criminal in the Boiling Isles. I missed up the intro. Let's do that again.